super friends and welcome to this, the 32nd episode of the Geico podcast. My name is Neil and I am here with my usual co-host extraordinaire, Martin. Say hello, Martin. Hello, Martin. And what are we going to be talking to the lovely listeners at home about this week? Stuff and things. That's on the wall behind you. So that would be a little bit of news. Reviewing this week, we're talking about The Invisible Man, Vivarium, and Disney Pixar's Onward. I'm going to talk a little bit about London Film and Comic Con that I went to at the weekend. And we have an interview this week. Yoth with friend of the show, uh, Pajama Boy Wonder, cosplayer extraordinaire. I've used that word twice now. Uh, So, on with the news. Leicester Square in London got a bit of an upgrade in the last week with the launch of some really cool new bronze statues which have been uh, put around the gardens to celebrate the history of cinema. So we went and had a walk around, didn't we, and had a look at some of those. You've got uh, a very, very cool statue of Batman which is looking over Leicester Square from the top of the Odeon Cinema. Uh, If you know the the geography of Leicester Square, uh, this might make a bit more sense to you. So you've got a ticket booth for the theatres that's got a statue of Laurel and Hardy on top of it. In the middle of the gardens, there's Paddington Bear, Mr. Bean, and Charlie Chaplin. Then around the outside of the garden, you've also got Mary Poppins, uh, Gene Kelly, who I keep wanting to call Gene Wilder, and Bugs Bunny. And then there's a Wonder Woman, but she's a bit unfortunate, isn't she? Yeah, it's a bit sad because she's the sort of. It's a very cool statue, and it's the only one that has anything different about it. So it's uh, she's most of them are in sort of positions that are like Batman's just imposingly looking over the square. Mary Poppins is flying away with the umbrella in her hand. Wonder Woman is crashing through a wall with her lasso of truth around her, which actually lights up. Um, none of the others have light up elements or anything like that. I suppose Bugs Bunny's got his carrots around him. Um, but she's kind of around the corner from the square and in a side street crashing through the side of the View Cinema. Just sad, really, because you thought it should be somewhere a bit more up front and in your face. There's a bit of upheaval about the fact that there's no Superman. You, can, oh, really? you want to overload it with DC superheroes, yeah. though, because they're trying to talk about, you know, cinema from various different areas. So if you're going to have a couple of superheroes, and and it's Warner Brothers, Wonder Woman's a good one to have, given you know she's got a film coming out and is somebody that's very much in the public conscious. What did you think of them? I really liked them. They're really nicely done. I really like the Batman because it's if you sort of double glance, you think, oh god, there's somebody up there. Yeah. I looked at it when I, so I went back and looked at them again on the Saturday, um, and in daylight, it's. I don't think it is Christian Bale's Batman. I think it's more of a comic book-ish type Batman. I don't think it's any specific type of Batman. It almost looks a bit Arkham-like in a way, whereas Wonder Woman is quite clearly Gal Gadot. The likenesses are very cool, though. Mister Bean is eerily Mister Bean-like. Beanie, Beanie. No, that's not my auntie. <laughs> They're a, uh, I think they're a permanent display. I don't think there's a time scale on when they're going to disappear or anything. I think they're there for the foreseeable future. Uh, it's part of just Leicester Square celebrating its heritage, particularly with all the cinemas around it. So I highly recommend that you, if you're in London uh, or live in London or are going to be in London for any period of time in the next few weeks or months, head down to Leicester Square and make sure to check them out. Spend a bit of time, make sure and take some pictures. You can sit next to Paddington, which uh, I did until I realised that the bench was wet because it was chucking it down with rain. Oh, you hope it was rain. It was rain. Um, So I deleted that photo because I just looked a bit sad. I've never really watched Paddington. There is a weird photo of me on Twitter with Mr Bean, though. 
a lot like my head is sort of morphed out of his shoulder. Hello. <laughs> that, was less ex- that was a bad Mr. Bean. It was. It, it should be more like, hello. Hello. <laughs> Less happy news this week uh, from DC Comics is uh, the news that Dan DiDio, uh, not Door DiDio, as you read from the whiteboard well, earlier. Poor left-handed penmanship. Try writing on a whiteboard with a left hand, you smudge. Uh, Dan DiDio is no longer working at DC Comics and has left uh, his role as co-publisher, leaving Jim Lee um, sole publisher in in the company at this point in time. We don't know exactly why. No statement has come from DC to discuss it. At the C2E2 convention over the weekend, Jim did the Meet the Publishers panel where they might as well just have gone through all the programs and crossed out the S to make it Meet the Publisher. Uh, He didn't really touch on it. He just discussed the future of the company, which is very much safe. If you've heard the rumour from We Haven't Got a Clue, a.k.a. We've Got This Covered, that DC is being bought by Marvel or being sold off by AT and T, it just don't believe the crap that comes from some people's mouths. Um, it's very much safe. They've got lots of plans for film, TV, everything. Uh, there was a really nice panel for DC Universe where they showed the first episode of season two of Harley Quinn, which apparently blew people's minds. Anyway, we're talking about Dan. Um, I love Dan. He's such a massive personality, especially on those panels. It'll be sad not having him there. So has he left DC completely? As far as we are aware, he left the company with immediate effect. So he's not doing any of the... What was, what was he was it? working on Metal Men. Metal Men, I was going to say Robot Which I think Man. has already started coming out. Because uh, so that was his thing, wasn't it? Yeah, it's unclear as to whether he will be finishing that or not. He has spoken on Facebook briefly and Instagram, but he just thanked people for, for the love and attention. There was a very, very strange rumour that went around saying it was essentially Scott Snyder who got rid of him, saying that him and Scott didn't get on and uh, Dan was masterminding apparently in another reboot like the next thing on from Rebirth which was going to be this fifth generation thing that was going to happen later this year that would supposedly have annoyed a lot of people because it was going to replace people as Batman and Wonder Woman and Superman but the fifth generation was always described as the era of the Legion of Superheroes so I don't see why there wouldn't be another Batman or Wonder Woman at that point in the future anyway so I don't think we knew enough about it to know whether it was going to be a bad thing or not. But supposedly Dan wanted to launch that through Snyder's uh, Dark Knight's Death Metal. And Snyder supposedly really didn't want him to and apparently they clashed over it a lot. All rumour, Snyder denied it. However, there is an open slot for a co-publisher. Scott Snyder, new job anyone? Co-publisher at DC? Would be very cool. Oh, they mean yourself. Oh, I can totally do that job. <clears throat> I'd have a go. <laughs> I feel like I've just monopolised the conversation slightly. What? What? It, how do you feel about it? Tell me how you're feeling. Um, tired. A little grumpy. Are I'm, you grumpy because Dan's leaving? Um, no, just because it's Monday, really. Okay. Because I'm like I'm like Garfield. Just don't like them. I don't like a Monday. I do like a lasagna though. Okay. <laughs> Right, I'm going to move on. <laughs> no, it's very sad about Dan. We wish him all the best for what he does next. Yes, absolutely. Last news story that I want to cover, because we've not got a lot of time this week, uh, is the announcement, which came a couple of weeks ago now, uh, of the Joker live concert tour. Very much looking forward to this. Tickets have arrived. So this is 
uh, a live orchestra performing, and I'm going to have to try and pronounce her name, Hilda Gotadadir. <laughs> oh, I love Hilda. Yep. Uh, her Oscar and BAFTA and every other award-winning uh, score for Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. It's a very difficult surname to pronounce. Look, I'm going to show you it on my phone. So it's Gudnadotir. Gudnadotir. Oh, God, that's... Un- I don't even know what that accent is. It's excellent. She's a, it's a brilliant surname. Um, so you'll be able to watch the film projected live over an orchestra as they perform the score. So it's premiering in London, and that's the world premiere of Joker Live, and that's on the 30th of April at the Eventum Apollo, where we'll be there. And we are getting... Uh, we're going to be conducted, I'm waving my hand around to try and figure out what the word is, by the person that conducted the orchestra in the studio when they recorded the score. Not not us. Yes, our concert will oh, have... But not us. Not us personally. Yeah. Sit over there no. in four four. Time. And then gonna, there's going to be somebody else that's going to conduct for the rest of the tour. So after London, it moves to Birmingham Symphony Hall on the 15th of May, Hull Bonus Arena on the 16th of May, the York Barbican on the 17th, the Board Gaze Energy Theatre in Dublin on the uh, 19th of May, on the 21st of... Oh, then it jumps to the 21st of June, so there's a bit of a gap. Uh, so 21st of June is the Millennium Centre in Cardiff. 24th of June is Sheffield City Hall. 25th of June, Manchester Bridgewater Hall. 28th of June, the Liverpool Philharmonic Hall. 29th of June is Southend Cliffs Pavilion. 30th of June, it goes to the Forum in Bath. 1st of July is the Brighton Dome. 2nd of July is the Pool Lighthouse. Then the 5th of July is the Glasgow Royal Concert Hall. And then it's ending its UK tour on the 6th of July at the Edinburgh Usher Hall. Oh, what a fine venue to end in. Isn't it just? And then it will be going on a full European and eventually US tour as well. You can grab your tickets for, for Joker Live now from ticketmaster.co.uk. But I think it's going to be it's going to be interesting to hear that music played live. Oh, I'd love to see it in Edinburgh. Well, let's book tickets to go to the Usher Hall. I love the Usher Hall. Do you want to go to Edinburgh at the beginning of July? Just in time for your mum's birthday. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> how how do you think it's going to translate to being played live? Because it's very um, it's very cello based. It's not. You wouldn't say it's classically. It's not. You know, there's no brass or anything in there. It's not going to be a full full orchestra. It's very much strings. How do you think it will translate to being played live? I feel like it's going to be one of those things where we realise how little music there actually is. Like when we went to see Jurassic Park and the orchestra didn't do a whole lot. Maybe. Because it was either that or it's going to be just cello. <laughs> cello. Cello. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm hoping it's incredibly impactful and emotive hearing some of that music played live. I'm sure it will be. All of the feels. Maybe not all the feels. From the cello. <laughs> A lot of the fields, but we're not all of them. Let's not forget it is an incredibly disturbing film at the same time. Well, get you thinking. If you are going to go and check out Joker Live, uh, let us know. Love to hear from you. If not, go grab your tickets because I cannot recommend how awesome it will be to see that film on a big screen in a concert hall with an orchestra. Um, if you're going to go, let us know. We'd love to know who's going out there so that we can maybe say hello if you're in London, uh, not chillo, and uh, hear your thoughts on the whole thing. Go see it in Edinburgh. Oh, go see it in Edinburgh. Yes, Usher Hall. Lovely, lovely venue. I've been. Have you? I think so. When? I, didn't you graduate there? No. Where did you graduate? That was the Festival Hall. What's festival the difference? Theater. Quite a difference. Which one's the Usher Hall? 
the big dome one. Oh, um, I've not been there. No, it's lovely. <laughs> that is it for the news this week. Let's crack on with our first film review. First up in the film reviews this week, we're going to be talking about The Invisible Man, which, you know, I went to see by myself because obviously it's a horror film, and that is a big old no from you, Martin. Before I get down to talking about this one, let's have a little listen to a clip from the film. Adrian? He was a sociopath. He said that I could never leave him. He controlled how I looked and what I wore. Then it was controlling when I left the house and eventually what I thought. Invisible Man is directed by Lee Wannell and it stars Elizabeth Moss as Cecilia Cass, Oliver Jackson Cohen as Adrian Griffin, co-starring are Harriet Dyer, Aldous Hodge and Storm Reed. The film is from Blumhouse and Universal Pictures and it is in cinemas now. It's also top of the box office at the moment. Uh, did really well over the weekend, took itself in around 29 million I believe in the US, still estimated until we get the final numbers and around 40 to 50 million from the worldwide box office. So a great start for this latest universal horror film. The synopsis of this one is not quite what you would expect. Uh, it doesn't, although it, it, um, it is based on the H.G. Wells uh, original short story, um, it does not directly adapt to that. It is not a remake of the, um, I'm not gonna get the year right now, the original um, 1933, I think it is, uh, black and white movie. It takes a slightly different spin on the story. So uh, a synopsis for this reads, when Cecilia's abusive ex takes his own life and leaves her his fortune, she suspects his death was a hoax. As a series of coincidences turn lethal, Cecilia works to prove that she's being hunted by someone that nobody can see. And I have to say, uh, I went to see uh, a press screening of this one um, a few days before it came out. I went into it thinking that I had enjoyed the trailer. I liked that it was going to do something slightly different uh, rather than just be, uh, you know, a another remake or a, a fairly um, close spin on the, the black and white original. And I came out of it uh, thoroughly impressed with um, what they had been able to do with it. Um, I didn't actually review this one on the website. If you want to see the website review, uh, that was written by James. He scored this film an 8.5 out of 10. Very specific, I know, but thank you, James. Um, he agreed with me that it is, on the whole, an excellent film. It's very, very tense. It's the kind of film where uh, you are on the edge of your seat for much of it. Um, not necessarily because it's scary. Uh, I would actually say that this is more of a thriller than a horror film, but... It's the level of terror that Elizabeth Moss is able to put across as Cecilia. 
uh, as she begins to realise that she's not necessarily going mad and that there are other things going on around her. So I don't want to spoil this one too much as it's quite fresh in the cinema, but um, as the as the trailer and as the synopsis alludes to um, her her partner, um, I was meant to call him Oliver, that would be the actor's name, so Adrian Griffin, which is obviously a spin on the, the original name from the original uh, story, is the same kind of... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? I, he's not... I call him an optician. He's not an optician. He's the same kind of uh, genius-level intellect that he is from the original story, and he is an inventor. But he is pitched here as very much the modern kind of archetypal abusive boyfriend. So we don't see a huge amount of, of that abuse. There is a, there's a kind of, I guess, inciting incident at the beginning of the film that sets the ball in, in motion for what comes next. Um... But we learn most of the history of Adrian and Cecilia through Elizabeth Moss and through her interactions with Aldous Hodge's character James and Harriet Dyer's um, character Emily, who is Cecilia's sister. Uh, all of that exposition comes from those interactions. Uh, there's also Storm Reed, who is um, who's Sydney, uh, James's daughter. As Cecilia builds relationships with those, you can see, and the film very much plays her as somebody who is recovering from an abusive relationship, and it's handled really well. This isn't the kind of horror thriller that is very, I guess, for want of a better term, schlocky. Um, it's very delicate and measured in how it portrays its characters because it does want to ground itself in a very normal reality outside of the invisible man i'm saying that in air quotes the titular in titular invisible man um and so we see some very real situations whereby she learns that uh, that adrian has committed suicide and she even sees a photograph of his body she learns that she is to inherit his fortune and that's when things begin to take a turn now unfortunately some of the key moments are given away in the trailer particularly there's a moment where you see her spill paint on the invisible man and you're able to see that it is somebody in some kind of suit um this is not your invisible man wearing bandages put it that way um there is a lot more to it and there's a lot of science behind it as well as a lot of character interaction behind it uh, but on the whole it is an absolutely brilliant film i was amazed to read that the budget and i'm going to have to look this up as we're talking to you uh, the budget is under 10 million for this film I believe it's 9 million uh yep 9 million us dollars this film knows exactly how to use every penny on screen to make it look the best that it can for that kind of budget there are a couple of moments when the invisible man looks a little bit cgi which i think sounds odd but it makes sense in the context of how you see him. But on the whole, he is rendered as an excellent character. And what this film does very brilliantly and very disturbingly is that it doesn't... Whenever he's in a room, he's not filmed in a manner whereby you could see maybe Cecilia, um, Elizabeth Moss's character in the front of the frame and there's some sort of shimmer in the background or you know the background slightly moves or there's a there's no effect to that as the invisible man is moving around it's very much a you don't know that he is there you can't see him unless his footprints depress the carpet or something moves or makes a noise there is no way to know that he is there so there are plenty of times in this film where she feels she's being watched that she may actually not be it will leave you feeling like 
maybe even you need to look over your shoulder because there might be somebody in the room or feeling slightly disturbed. It very much builds a picture uh, where where we could even question whether there would be some sort of third act twist whereby Celia is actually completely nuts and he really is dead and there is no invisible man. It could have happened. I mean, it doesn't, but it very easily could have. And it's brilliant in that respect. The way that uh, Lee Wannell wrote the screenplay, um, it's just very intelligent. It doesn't pander to... Um, its audience in that it doesn't spoon feed you any information there is a lot that you need to put together as you're going along and you will second guess yourself on a number of occasions as to what is actually going on now i will say that the plot is fairly predictable at times there were certain key points where um we kind of turned to each other those of us that were there and sort of said oh you know this is what's going to happen next and it did but that is by no means a knock on this film because although those major plot points might be slightly predictable, there are plenty of twists and turns within, or moments that are unexpected, that it's still incredibly enjoyable. Um, I think favourite moments, it's difficult to say without spoiling it. Um, there's a scene in a restaurant um, between Cecilia and her sister, uh, her sister Emily, which is, I mean, it completely came out of nowhere, and that was a moment where I just went, <gasps> And sort of jumped out of my seat a little bit, and there were a number of times when people in the cinema did uh, did gasp, which was uh, was quite interesting. Other highlight moments for me: uh, the final sequence, um, which I'm not going to say anything about because it would spoil too much of the film, uh, is brilliant and twists the whole story once again. Uh, so it ends on a very interesting note. The score is excellent. Uh, I'm going to forget this. Um, it's uh, Benjamin Wolfish, I think, that did the score for Shazam, but I'm going to have to double-check while I'm saying this. Yes, Benjamin Wolfish was the composer. His score is excellent. It's incredibly dramatic. Um, I've not had a chance to listen to it yet since the film came out, but uh, it was some excellent work by him. Elizabeth Moss is absolutely outstanding as Cecilia. Uh, there is no kind of weak link in this cast whatsoever. Her relationships are very real. Her emotions are very real. It's all portrayed brilliantly. Um, my only thing, and this is really weird, and I've said it to a number of people, and I need to go back and see the film to see how I react to it a second time, but there is a particular scene where um, Cecilia has kind of realised that she's being watched, and... Um, something has happened she's alone in the house and she she throws uh coffee beans all over the floor so that if uh if adrian is going to find her he's going to have to step across them and obviously it will make noise so she's kind of cowering in the corner of a room um crying and quite kind of hyped up and upset about the whole thing and she's sort of screaming at him saying i know you're there i know you're there and she she does this thing, and I'm not going to quote it directly because I can't quite remember the line off the top of my head. Uh, but she says something along the lines of, "Why are you doing this to me? I'm just a suburban girl who you met at a party." And I don't know what it is, but something about that line I just really didn't like when I saw it at the time. It felt as if um, she was just doing something that felt like she was reading a synopsis for her own character, or like a character bio for, for Cecilia. I don't know, it just didn't quite sit with me. Um, but that is incredibly pernickety and would be the only thing about the film that I could say was a slight knock. Um, other than that, I absolutely highly recommend that you go and see The Invisible Man. 
So just to remind you, um, actually, let me give you a score. So uh, James, in his review, which you can check out on the website now, www.getyourcomicon.co.uk, uh, he gave it an 8.5 out of 10. I would go with, uh, I'd probably go with the same, but I don't tend to do half scores anymore for some reason. Uh, so I would give this an 8 out of 10. The Invisible Man, directed by Lee Wannell and starring uh, Elizabeth Moss, is in cinemas now. Next up on the old film reviews, uh, I am going to tell you about another film which I watched by myself. It's been one of those uh, one of those weeks or fortnights for um, for me only watching films by myself. Um, going to review uh, a film which is coming out on March twenty seventh, twenty twenty, in the UK. Uh, it is directed by Lorcan Finnegan and stars Jesse Eisenberg and Imogen Poots. And it is called Vivarium. Before I tell you about this one, as always, have a little listen to a clip. Okay, here we go. Welcome to Yonder, a wonderful development. It has all you'd need and all you'd want. Number nine. Number nine is not a starter home. This house is forever. Leave for a boy. Do you have children? No. It's not exactly what we're looking for. That guy was so strange. Yeah. Wait. No, no, I don't think this is the right way. Yeah, this is the way we came in. Number nine again. Did we just do some kind of loop? How if we just... Want me to drive? Such a jerk. Because I think this is not possible. We can't make turns like this over and over. We have gone this way, Tom. Oh my god. Hello? 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 The synopsis for this film is a young couple looking for the perfect home find themselves trapped in a mysterious labyrinth-like neighbourhood of identical houses. Uh, so as I have said, this stars Jesse Eisenberg and Imogen Poots. Um, it also star- uh, stars Jonathan Aris. And a number of uh, Jonathan Aris sort of like clones at different stages of life. <laughs> This is a tough one to describe. So I was recommended this film uh, by another reviewer, uh, Ben, thank you very much. Um, And I got in touch with the PR company who were representing it and said, I would love to check it out. And they sent me over a copy to watch at home. Um, It premiered, I think it was at Cannes Film Festival last year um, and has been um, out in a couple of other countries and is finally making its way to the UK at the end of March. Uh, It is really bloody interesting uh it's kind of like watching an episode of black mirror with some of the sensibility of doom patrol if that makes sense um it's got a very dreamlike quality to it and some of the set design particularly once they reach um this kind of uh, neighborhood where they get trapped reminded me of when uh, Crazy Jane and Robot Man ended up inside the snow globe in Doom Patrol and that's why I say there's a Doom Patrol element to it other than that this is almost purely like Black Mirror stuff that's going on Um, but it is a really compelling watch Uh, it it presents a really interesting twist on kind of the family unit and um, I guess a very interesting statement on um, mass marketed society in a way so uh, Imogen Poot's character Gemma is a school teacher um, and she is in a long-term relationship with Jesse Eisenberg's character Tom. Uh, they're currently kind of 
living in a flat and looking for somewhere to kind of to to start a family they're not married yet that i'm aware of or can remember they don't have kids and they kind of when when kids are mentioned by jonathan aris when they go to visit this house it's very much like a whoa not yet we are we are not there yet um and you feel like you're being set up to watch um almost maybe i don't know it, you you really don't know how to call it right from the very beginning because it doesn't feel like anything else you've watched. There are some real indie film sensibilities to it, and you can tell that it's filmed on a low budget, but it's done really really well, and it just sends you around in circles because you don't know what is going on. Uh, you feel very much like you're in the same position as the characters in the film, so they go to visit this house as they as they're kind of having a look round and kind of thinking that this neighbourhood is all a bit generic and repetitive the uh the guy that's showing them around martin who's played by jonathan aris has completely disappeared so they head back to their car they try and drive home they can't find their way out they're driving around in circles and circles and circles the sun goes down the car runs out of petrol nothing that happens isn't something that you've not seen before but the the way it's all combined together it just feels very different so uh once they've run out of petrol um they kind of they do all those things where they they, you know they climb up on the roof to try and see which direction is the way to go and there's houses as far as the eye can see and essentially you suddenly realize that actually there's a lot more going on here as you then discover that they're stuck in this loop and this is when the weirdness (laughs) this isn't weird enough already uh this is when the weirdness really starts to come into it so uh things start happening like food is delivered to them um so that they you know they don't starve to death while they're stuck in this house and then a baby is delivered to them um and it's sort of alluded to that actually if they raise the baby then maybe they'll be set free um and i guess it all ties back into to the title of the film uh which as i said is vivarium um i'm going to look this up in the dictionary for you right now so that i can explain to you exactly what vivarium means and funnily enough my internet history the top result when i type in dictionary is vivarium so the word vivarium, or vivarium, uh, depending on how you pronounce it, is a place such as a laboratory where live animals or plants are kept under conditions simulating their natural environment as for research. And that's exactly what happens. You realise as things kind of transpire and as events move on that actually somebody is pulling the strings behind what's happening. Um, and, you know, this is some kind of social experiment. Uh, and... <laughs> I I couldn't call it as to who it is because it's not explicitly said. They could be aliens, they could be demons, they could be some weird genetically modified humans. Um, It's that kind of film that doesn't feel that it's necessary to tell you everything. It expects that its audience is intelligent enough to be able to enjoy what they're given and can spend the next few weeks theorising over the water cooler at work about what was actually going on in the background. It's very intelligent, it's very cleverly written, and does not, much like I was just saying about The Invisible Man earlier, it doesn't spoon-feed you any kind of information that says, okay, this is actually what's going on. It doesn't lay the plot out for you. You are expected to put this together. Um, It is very disturbing. It gets more disturbing as the time runs on. It's um, trying to remember the runtime. It's 1 hour 37. Um, And obviously, the longer they're stuck in this place the more the relationship between the two of them is tested and Tom in particular 
struggles to be able to just settle into this life particularly with the weirdness of um of the child who does grow up in stages uh so shonen jennings i've probably pronounced that wrong uh plays the boy and then Aina hardwick plays a slightly older version of the boy um and there's a lot of weirdness that goes on there and i'm not going to tell you all of it because it's so worth watching but it's the social experiment aspect of the story is what brings some of the best points of the plot so tom's reaction to being in there for that period of time uh is very very different to Gemma's. so Gemma is very maternal she wants to look after the child that puts her at odds with tom and eventually leads to i guess you could say the breakdown of their relationship although not fully and it leads to him really desperately trying to escape from this from this place and i really don't want to spoil it because the third act of the film is absolutely bonkers brilliant um but let's just say when he starts to dig a hole in the garden uh things really do take a turn and by the end you realize that they're in this huge kind of ant farm like environment um which isn't necessarily hugely important to the plot but is a great twist in terms of the scientific experiment that's going on behind the scenes um it's very much focused on the characters and their reactions uh but there are interesting bits of plot for those who are interested in finding out what's happening in the wider world uh you can hear me umming and ahhing because I'm trying to find the best words to be able to describe exactly how this film is other than just saying it's flipping brilliant Um, there's a lot of commentary on life goals and the the gender roles within parenting as well as this whole idea of kind of mass marketed capitalist um, generic cookie cutter life as it is Um, if you are willing to embrace the the kookiness of the set design and the black mirror-esque nature of it all then this is a film that you will thoroughly thoroughly enjoy i haven't written my review of it yet i'm still working on it this is going to be the kind of film that i think i give uh probably a it's either going to be a seven or an eight out of ten um but honestly it's so worth a watch it's that kind of film that i don't always get to watch and I took myself uh you know I took myself out of my normal comfort zone and hunted down a copy of it through the PR company to make sure I uh, I got a chance to watch it before it was released and it it's so worth it absolutely so so worth it so please go check it out and enjoy it and let me know what you think so once you've seen this film which just to remind you is out on the 27th of March 2020 Drop me a line uh, either through my own personal Twitter, which is at Neil Vag, or via our channel, which is at Get Your Comic Con on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, you name it. And, uh, and let me know what you think, because I'll be really interested to know your thoughts. Now, we promised this issue that we were going to do something we haven't done for a couple of months, which is review a comic book. Now, as you'll pretty much gather from uh, the description down below of this episode that we're sort of airing on the side of horror uh, apart from onward which you just i we weren't invited so i was a plus one um so i thought as i'm talking about so much film i'm gonna throw it to just you to talk about comic book this week i won't do a comic book i will save that for a later date i'm doing all the filmy things you can do the comic book thing over to you martin what are we talking about so it's me it's me now Yes, sorry. <laughs> that's when I said over to you, Martin. That's pretty much what I meant. I phase out sometimes because you do talk about. So I'm going to be talking about, for a change, you know, I really read certain things, and I tend to talk about the same things all Let the time. Let me guess, 
Is it DC? Yes. <laughs> Let me guess. Does it star a Robin? No. Oh. Doom Patrol? No. Enlighten us. I'm going to go for John Constantine. Way. Hellblazer. Classic or new? New. So the new DC Black Label Sandman Universe line. Ah, I've not read any of this, so do enlighten me. So this is a new line, as I said. So it's, it's quite, it's an interesting concept. So it's the Sandman universe, which I haven't, I'll be honest, I haven't read any of the Sandman universe. Yep. And they've just plopped John Constantine into it. They're also about to plop uh, Joe Hill's Lock and Key into it as well, which has just oh. become a very successful Netflix series. Has it? Yes. Oh, is that, yeah. We've not watched it. No, I didn't realise that was DC. It's not. Or is it Vertical? Um, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's about to be. Why don't you know? These are things you should know. I don't know who published Lock and Key. Oh dear. Continue talking. While you look at that, we'll talk a little bit more about John Constantine. So I'm going to, so we're up to episode issue four now. So I'm just going to talk about the first sort of story arc in general, really. It's IDW Lock and Key. And IDW and DC do obviously uh, collaborate on things like Batman, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So Lock and Key are shortly coming into the Sandman universe. Don't know if that involves Constantine. Please continue. I'm not sure, I mean, because it's a black label, so it could just be a standalone story within the Sandman universe for Absolutely. Constantine. But anyway, so it was written by Simon Spareri. Pencils about Aaron Campbell, and Ink is also by Aaron Campbell as well, actually. And it's quite a nice little story. It's a very gritty, true Constantine story. Should I give you a bit of the synopsis? Go for it. John Constantine is back in London. Bloody hell. I've added <laughs> that bit in. Okay. Bit of cockney flair. Back to his old tricks and just in time as things have become very dark indeed in his old stomping ground. A small time ganglord has found himself dealing with a big time outbreak of supernatural weirdness. And without any allies to call and nothing left to call his own. <laughs> the voice is slipping. It is a little bit, sorry. I'm trying to read and do a voice at the same time. John doesn't have much choice about talking to about taking a paycheck from one of London's worst or accepting the help of one of the ganglord's would-be foot soldiers. But what should an open and shut exorcism turn out to be nothing but... Uh, <laughs> go on. Dot, dot, dot. Oh, okay. And the author of Madness may just be getting started on their terrible masterpiece. So it's quite cool. I'm not sure I followed any of that synopsis no, just because of the voice. It was a bit broken. Essentially, he's back in London. Mm-hmm. He's a bit sort of on the fly, right. dodging about, and he gets wrapped up in this sort of peck and rye gang thing. Oh, God, they're just down the road. I know, it's just down the road. I was like, bloody hell, I go past that in the train. Bloody hell, bloody hell. This is Harry Potter. I know. But it's really cool. So it turns out that there's this sort of, really cool. <laughs> there's this like angel slash demon and Peckham Common knocking off all the gangbangers as they're coming through. Okay. And it kind of, the story unfolds, it turns out it's not really an angel, it's something else. And it's quite, it's quite interesting. And, you know, you get to see the sort of the lighter side of John as well, where he comes across as a sort of like, bah, I don't care, but actually yeah. it's got a bit of a softer touch in it. And he develops a new sort of driver and thing. So it's quite an interesting storyline. Artwork wise is really interesting. It's quite harsh. I actually, I think I may have read issue number one. 
because I'm just looking at some preview artwork on my phone and I'm pretty sure I read the first one but I didn't read any more yeah I mean I really like the artwork actually it's really interesting I mean I'm, I'm about to show you book four which looks nothing like book one two and three so I won't bother is it a different artist in book four slightly different artist yes yes it is but the first three have this really nice sort of quite dark quite horrific style about it and it fits really well with the story and I quite liked it mm-hmm Is, are these first four issues a complete arc or are we not at the end of it as yet? So I would say the first three issues are a complete story of the Peckham gangland. Yeah. And then issue four starts to introduces a, a bigger issue. So we know that this sort of incident in Peckham Common wasn't an, wasn't isolated. Oh, okay. So there's a bigger... So there's a wider story going on. There's a wider on. story going on. There's a bigger evil in London. It's quite a funny episode. Uh, quite a funny episode. It's not a TV series. It's not, no. It's a really funny issue because John bumps into some sort of like new age hippie magician in London. So he's got a man bun, Shankwa and stuff. And you can imagine the response he gets from him. I can. And there's a really funny... There's a couple of funny panels where he's like, oh, I'm going to take him to the boozer. And I'm going to get him wasted, and they realise how much of a, you know, a lightweight that he really is. And it's quite, it's quite funny as you go through the panels. It comes to like it goes like pint one, pint five, pint ten. Okay, so it's got a good sense of humour yeah. to it as well. John's upside down, and this new age guy is not touched the size of all the booze. It's quite, it's quite funny. I quite like it. Hmm. Are you? Uh, we, how do I phrase this? Who? Because there aren't that many people that play Constantine. When you read Constantine. Do you hear Matt Ryan's voice? No. What do you hear? Uh, my version of John Constantine. Ooh, what does your version of John Constantine sound like? Well, I don't know. It's in my head. I don't hear Matt. Does it sound like you doing a Cockney accent? No. See, you know... Bloody how... hell. <laughs> Bit of magic. <laughs> Can you, Adam and Eve, it? Bloody ghost. <laughs> right. Uh, no, he doesn't sound like that in my head. He you doesn't... know how I was uh, we're talking last episode about Margot Robbie, and I was saying that in some respects I actually hear Margot Robbie's voice when I read Harley Quinn. Or, you know, do you hear Tara Strong's voice? Do you hear any of those other actors that played her? I do, I do feel like Matt Ryan is the voice of Constantine in my head. Yeah, he's not... Yeah. Not for me. Hmm. But then... Just a question. I don't know, really. No, I've never really thought about that. Anything else that you want to say about John Constantine Hellblazer? No, I just think it's a really good comment to pick up. It doesn't require you to have a an in-depth working knowledge of his backstory. That's good. It's, it's a nice thing you can just sort of pick up and go straight into it, really. I like that DC is making a real effort to keep him present at the moment. I feel yeah, like there was he... a long period of time where he wasn't really in comics all that much. But over the last few years, I feel like there's been a... Because we've had a Hellblazer. Obviously, Hellblazer was the original that he came from. We had a Hellblazer a few years ago, didn't we? And then we had Constantine New 52. There's been a Constantine Hellblazer. And then, as the, am I right in thinking, there's been both a Constantine and a Hellblazer in Rebirth era as well. Yeah, so they dropped it though, didn't they? So it went to what? There was just Constantine New 52, which yeah. I really I loved that series. Yeah. And then it went back to Hellblazer, and then they dropped it. Yeah. And then he sort of, he was kind of in Justice League Dark, but then he left that as well. 
and then he's popped back up in the new Justice League Dark Team, but he's not a major role in that. He's just there sometimes. Yeah. And they've changed his character quite a bit as well, so he's without magic. Oh. Um, he was sort of dying. And he's now headlining uh, Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, the latest animated movie, the next of the animated movies from DC as well. Matt Ryan's voicing him again in that. Very excited. Uh, the, actually, um, probably should have put that in the news section, uh, but the trailer has just dropped for that today. I've not watched it yet, though. Uh, but the the actual proper trailer, not just the like the preview section from the Red Sun DVD. Very excited. I feel like we need more Constantine back on TV as well. We've not watched Legends of Tomorrow this season yet. This season has brought back Astra. Uh, is it? It's absolutely full on in the lung cancer Astra storyline of wow. Constantine. It's very. This season of Legends, from what I gather, is like full on with Constantine. Um, it, it may be a subplot, I don't know, but there's a, there's a lot going on with him, and it's straight from Constantine comics. And uh, the showrunner has said if it gets picked up for a series six. Which actually, I think it may have, and I've just forgotten that there's he he's saying that in series six he would like to go even more deep in on Constantine, so they're planning on keeping him around. Just give him his own show back. <laughs> Supernatural is ending. Put what would you DC Universe? That's where all the good shows are. Uh, what would you score this out of ten? So I'm going to give it. So the first four, I'm going to say it's quite high. Actually, I'd be I really look forward to it coming out, and I get quite excited about it. So I'm going to say. I'm not going to say eight because you've given everything else an eight. I'm going to say nine. Very nice. I I have given everything an eight so far this evening. Yes. And where can the lovely super friends at home pick up this fine comic book? Where all fine comic books are sold. Which is comic book stores. Yeah. (laughs) Or online. On Comixology. So this weekend just passed. I attended London Film and Comic Con. Now, second time in recent memory, I've attended a convention without you. What was the last one? MCM, in October. I went with Matt. Where was that? Dunno. Not there. I was teaching. And where were you this time? I was... At a housewarming party. Well, it was more of a brunch warming party. You were celebrating brunch? Oh, no, it was like a... You mean it was a housewarming brunch? Yeah, housewarming brunch. That's being pedantic, me. But, I mean, by all means, you can celebrate brunch, because who doesn't want an extra meal in a day? Anyway, back on topic. Uh, I went without you. But I went... you had the lovely Nicola. I did have the lovely Nicola, yes. So um, she had the great pleasure of spending the entire of Saturday with me. From... <laughs> from statues in the rain in Leicester Square to onward at the Picture House on to London Film and Comic Con Spring and then finally to the Palladium to see City and Colour. Oh god. <laughs> so I met her at nine twenty ish in the morning and left her at nine twenty ish in the evening actually. So because she had to leave early to get to rain. Um so we, we had a good twelve solid hours in each other's company. I feel like I need to give her something for Looking after you for the day. <laughs> like babysitting yeah. my day. <laughs> so, Thanks. So I could go away and, you know, have a, a grown-up's lunch. <laughs> anyway, uh, this was really interesting for a London film and comic con. Universal had pulled out all the stops on their bit. You, you know how this one doesn't have a lot of the film studios normally? Universal mm, yeah. seemed to be doing quite a lot. And I can remember that they did a lot last summer. Um, the winter one didn't happen. 
and so this has been the first one since sort of July time. And there was a big Universal presence there again. So they had that, they had that booth that shows Universal trailers. Uh, they had the car from Skyfall, which was quite cool. Um, and then they had this Bond exhibit. Uh, so <laughs> Nicole and I all got a little bit freaked out when we got there because we checked in at the um, at the press stand, and they were like, um, "Okay, so we're going to uh, we're going to escort you over to uh, the the Bond stand." Um, and what we're going to do, we're going to fast track you through because we really want you to see what's going on in there because it's all very cool. And we were like, okay, uh, do you know that we're no one? <laughs> oh, no. So we got fast tracked through. So the poor, like, 60 or 70 people that were stood there queuing for it. They, and they, this is the really, th- like, sad thing about it. On one side of the exhibit where they had people queuing, it was, like, just normal barriers and a black carpet. And then on our tiny bit of carpet that was just the two of us, there were gold barriers, and it was a red carpet. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, people are going to think that we're, like, I don't know, pushing in or something. Uh, so we were, anyway, the lovely Universal staff uh, took care of us, and they were like, no, just bear with us a second, we've got a couple of people who are just going in, and then we're going to take you through, and you're going to sign up on this iPad, and then you're going to go in here, it's going to be really cool. And so basically what we did was, we had to uh, sign up as secret agents, have our photo taken and then we went inside this room which just had a green screen at the back of it and then tape marks on the floor i was agent number one nicola was agent number two and there was uh, number one <laughs> we were instructed as to what to do so uh, i had to go first and i had to walk across the room after three beeps i had to just walk across the room from one side to the other then she, after three more beeps she had to walk from the other side of the room to the other side of the room so we like if we'd walked at the same time we'd cross in the middle and then we had to do the same thing again only we had to run to the middle and then pose and that was both at the same time and then about half an hour later we received a video over email that was basically like a mini trailer for the film with us being all Bond style and as we left they then printed us little ID cards that said we were now in the secret service it's quite a cool video actually I quite like it I've watched it quite a few times because it's quite funny it is quite funny and do you know what it made me think of what like some sort of 90s um French and Sandra sketch. <laughs> it actually <laughs> does look like that, doesn't it? <laughs> oh dear. There I was thinking that we looked effortlessly cool. I mean, you did, but I was like, oh, that's really funny. Because <laughs> it's black and white and quite <laughs> moody, isn't it? Yeah. And you're just like, running. <laughs> well, that's the thing, because uh, Nicola was laughing because she's sort of walking in her bit. And then when it cuts from her walking to the next scene where we're both in it together, she's suddenly running and she's like, oh, 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 oh. Yeah, funny. And we had to decide with about a fraction of a second to go as to what we were, how we were going to pose in the middle. Um, but it was really good fun. And then obviously we walked around, we saw all the stands and everything. We, uh, I didn't buy anything. Uh, she bought a Bulbasaur Funko. I nearly bought the entire of Birds of Prey because there was a really nice Huntress and Black Canary and Harley. Uh, but they were like a tenner each, so I didn't, I didn't buy them. Black Canary is very, very... All, all the movie ones, not like comic book ones. Um, they the the black canary was very cool and they had an exclusive huntress that was posing with her crossbow rather than just sort of standing um not that much going on by way of guests unfortunately quite a few of the american guests so hartley sawyer who's elongated man from flash and clark Gregg, uh, agent coulson from agents of shield had dropped out don't know if that's a coronavirus thing or if there was just something else going on but a lot of the american guests had dropped out but there were still people there from doctor who obviously because there's always people from doctor who and Star Wars and the, the normal franchises that you get at London Film and Comic Con. I didn't see Bernard Cribbins. Was Stormtrooper 74 there? 
they had the Knights of Ren from the most recent one. I never know how to... I don't know. Because you never see their face in the films. <laughs> I know what you mean, yeah. So I'm a bit like, oh, it's... We went to a couple of panels. I've never been to a panel at LFCC before. Mm. Uh, so we went to one for, uh, as I said earlier, not Gangs of New York, but Gangs of London, which is a new series by uh, Gareth Evans. I thought Gareth Edwards. Uh, and I got confused and thought it was the director of Rogue One. But it's the guy who directed The Raid. Uh, he's got a new series that's coming out of Sky One in April, which is like a London gangland thing. But it's it's not a... I guess you probably would call it gritty, but it's not set in our London. It's like a slightly weird alternate universe heightened London. It's not quite our London. Um, they showed us a few clips and it's brutal. Like there was a scene that looked like it was from Titans. You know when Robin smashed that guy's head across like a window and scraped his face down a wall? There was stuff like that was going on. It's pretty nasty stuff. And then we went to, more excitingly, um, we went to a panel for Audible, as in the audiobook people. Uh, Audible's Assassin's Creed Gold audiobook, which is available now, and stars Danny Wallace, which is interesting. Uh, but he's a voice actor in the games. Um, I know him as the guy that writes that funny column in the free magazine they hand you on the tube. And Anthony Stewart Head. Ooh. Giles. <laughs> Giles was there. So you didn't know that he was going to be there beforehand. He wasn't an announced guest that you could see on the website. You couldn't buy a uh, photo session with him or autograph with him. He was he was just there for that panel. So we'd seen... Well, I had spotted his face on a banner, and I don't think Nicola had seen it. And then we heard them over the tannoy say, coming up soon on the main stage is the Assassin's Creed Gold. And we heard Anthony Stewart Head... She was like, oh my god, Giles is here. And I said, I'm not sure that he is or whether it's just a panel about something that he's in. So we Googled it. It was like, no, surprise, Anthony Stewart Head is at Showmasters London Film and Comic Con Springs. So it was like, quick, run. There was, a, there was a really big queue for it, but we managed to get in and we had quite good seats near the front as well. So that was interesting. He didn't, I mean, there was no time for him to talk about Buffy or anything like that. I think it was live streamed as well, so I think you can probably watch it online somewhere. It was all just to talk about the fact that he's playing Sir Isaac Newton in this Assassin's Creed audiobook. Mm. It sounded really interesting, though. It might be something I have to give a go. I do quite like the games. Give it a listen. Yes. Did you not try and listen to an audiobook the other day? Yes, but I realised I did it wrong. How? What? Well, so I listened to it through the Bluetooth speaker. Uh, not through an... an oh, I nearly said a brand name. Uh, I probably can, because it's an independent podcast. I didn't listen to it through Alexa. Or through headphones, I listened to it through our van's Bluetooth speaker, oh, yeah. and it was it kept skipping, and I just thought this is a this is a terrible quality audio book. I have no idea what's going on here, and it just keeps jumping. So then I went and listened to it on headphones, and it was fine. So I think it was the Bluetooth aspect. So mm-hmm. I need to go back and try it again. I'm trying to think if there's anything else worth. Oh well, obviously I spoke to some cosplayers, including Pajama Boy Wonder, whose interview is in this very podcast. That's almost like a, a perfect segue, really. It might be. I haven't quite decided where I was going to slot it into the podcast yet, but this might be it. Well, I thought you were uh, going to do it here. Like, oh, we saw Pajama Wonder. Here's the interview. I'm not that, well, not that well planned. Well. Uh, so I caught up with him, which was really, really nice. I've not seen him since the Birds of Prey roller disco. So it's been a little while. Always nice to catch up. Friend of the show. I'm going to start calling people that now. Friend of the show. Sounds very posh <laughs> that's just me all over apparently isn't it well you said it <laughs> you normally say it i just beat you to it that's probably it for london film and comic-con it was it was really nice uh 
we probably spent most of the day just freaked out about the fact that they'd escorted us round to James Bond because it was a bit like, eh, we don't get treated like this. We had the press badge and everything. I know, I know, but it's just, it's just weird. I don't feel like that means anything. I'm just perfectly normal. Roll on their summer event. They've got some quite good guests for that one. Mm, I'm sad I missed it. You, it was actually it was a good one. It was a good experience. Shall I tell you some of the guests who have been announced for the summer one? Oh, go on then. So we've got Clark Gregg, who rescheduled from not being able to attend this weekend. You've got Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad, wow. which is a big one for them. Robbie Coltrane, <gasps> Hagrid. Yep. Barry Bostwick. Well, I nearly shouted. Arsehole there. <laughs> You've done it now. <laughs> I've done it now. Uh, Stephen R. McQueen, not Steve McQueen. Uh, he's someone from the Vampire Diaries. You've got Emmy Raver Lampman from the Umbrella Academy. Mandeep Dillon, who is in Star Wars. She appears to be some sort of Imperial officer. Okay. Uh, Matt Fraser from American Horror Story, who I think also had cancelled for this one. He's in Circus. Oh, yeah. Ashley Walters from Bulletproof and Top Boy. Noel Clark, who I think had also cancelled for this one. Clearly a lot of people rescheduled to summer. Oh, uh, Mickey. Sam Humphrey. Not Sam Humphreys, not Shumphreys. Oh, Don't. that yeah. would have been exciting. From The Greatest Showman. John Wesley Ship, The Flash. Oh. Yes. Uh, Alan Ruck from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Alice Cooper. Ming-Na Wen from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And uh, The Chen. Mandalorian, Dr. Chen. David Ramsey from Arrow. Diggle. Uh, Harry Manfredini from Friday the 13th, composer of the soundtrack. You've also got Nick Frost, Danielle Nicolette. It's Joe's wife from The Flash. Oh, yeah. Cecile. You've also got Sasha Dowan, who's from Doctor Who and Dracula. He's the new master. Oh, and what else is... Spoilers. Is he the one... He's not the man from... From... Iron Fist, is he? Yes. Oh, yeah. I can't... out of Because he's got hair now? Yes. Uh, you've also got Henry Thomas from E.T., Riz Ahmed from Rogue One and Venom. He was the pilot in Rogue One and also the villain oh, in Venom. Yeah. Uh, so it's a really big guest for them. Kim Coates from Sons of Anarchy, Mark Boone Jr. from Sons of Anarchy, but also was Detective Flass in Batman Begins. Yes, he was. You've got Ahmed Abtahi from The Mandalorian. He's quite a famous actor as well. You'll know his face was kind of a character actor. Andrew Gower from Carnival Row. There was a couple of Carnival Row people at this one as well, actually. D. Wallace from E.T. and Critters. Uh, Robert McNaughton, also from E.T. Scott Ian from Anthrax, the band. Uh, random. Meatloaf. Meatloaf? Yep. Meatloaf is on the list. Uh, Mark Pellegrino, not the maker of Lemonade. That's his uh, cousin, San. Oh. He's from Supernatural and Lost. Ernie Hudson from Ghostbusters. Also, Amanda Tapping from Stargate SG-1. Ben Broder from Farscape and Stargate SG-1. Tom Skerritt from Top Gun and Alien. Veronica Cartwright from Alien. Jason O'Mara from Man in the High Castle. Also the voice of Batman in a lot of the DC animated movies. Claire Kramer from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Glory. Not Glory. What is she doing these days? She hosts uh, loads of panels at conventions. She's like a panel presenter extraordinaire keep using that word today simon mcburney from carnival row misty rosas from the mandalorian he's the little creature that he's friends with in the first few episodes they've not 
He doesn't actually look like that, though, does he? No, that's no. not. It's a picture of him in makeup. <laughs> yeah, I was say. You've also got Natalia Tenner from Harry Potter and the Mandalorian. Tonks. Tonks. Yep, she was unfortunately absolutely rubbish in the Mandalorian. Uh, someone directed her to chew the scenery. Julian Glover from Star Wars. That was really harsh, wasn't it? That was it? quite harsh. <laughs> like, oh my God. Jesse T. Usher from The Boys. He uh, is the Flash. Not Flash. <laughs> yeah, not Flash. You've also got David Warner from Tron. Julian Holloway from Doctor Who. Sylvester McCoy. Colin Baker. And Anjali Mahindra from Doctor Who and the Sarah Jane Adventures. Cosplay guests, wrestling guests and comic guests are yet to be announced. So that London com- Film and Comic Con uh, is on the 24th to 26th of July. So if you happen to be there on the Sunday, you can come and find us, if we're there, and say happy birthday, because it's my birthday that day. Maybe that's what we'll do. That'll be your birthday treat. Woo! <laughs> You'll have to ask the nice people at LFCC to invite you back again. They're lovely people at LFCC, actually. They were they were so welcoming. Um, aside from the whole escorting us to the Bond thing, they were just they were really lovely and really friendly, as was absolutely everyone that we saw that whole day. So now we have something a little bit different for our podcast. Um, as you know, we like to do an interview every now and then. We'd love to do more of them. I recently had um, had the chance to sit down and chat over Skype, not physically sit down, um, with uh chester who some of you will know as pj boy wonder on instagram um, and other social medias he is a cosplayer who uh, does a lot of very cool stuff um he's known for his robin uh, from titans and nightwing he also does some very cool ben 10 uh, cosplays so we sat down uh, actually this was nearly a couple of weeks ago now so um you'll notice we talk about london film and comic con or something that's not happened yet um and we just chatted all things cosplay, which was really, really cool. So I'm going to throw over to myself in the distant past, uh, and you can hear my chat with Chester. Enjoy. Chester, welcome to the Get Your Comic On podcast. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. So before we talk about cosplay and everything else, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into comics and these kind of characters that you've been cosplaying as? Um, I guess, uh, so I was born in 97 and kind of the main superhero for me growing up was Spider-Man, the Sam yeah. Raimi Maguire Spider-Man. Awesome. Um, so I really loved those films, uh, as I was growing up, like one and two, um, primarily or say, yeah, yeah. Three was not, was not quite so good, was it? No, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it was one and two. I really enjoyed I, I even got, I think it was my fourth or fifth birthday, uh, a spider-man suit like from the store sort of thing oh, dressed up. Awesome. um i don't think i have any pictures of it i've said to my <laughs> mum she's got any because it'd be nice to do a little a throwback or comparison wow so that's like your first cosplay was really early on i think so or <laughs> my first cosplay was neo from the matrix i can't remember which one came first because me and my dad really loved the matrix films when i was younger as well we used to watch them oh so what do you think about them doing a fourth one it's it's with the original directors, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's one of them. Yeah. Well, Wachowski, not brothers anymore, because one of them yes. had. Uh, <laughs> they're, yeah, it's now the Wachowski sisters. But uh, if they, they they wrote the original comics and then directed the films, so I'm sure they know what they're doing. And it's taken so much time to do, so they've probably really thought it out. Um, I hope so. Yeah. So it should be true to the original story um, and all the well, the original main three at least coming back, and I think Link yeah. as well. 
Um, so hopefully it does live up to what the original three were. Um, hopefully. I saw a picture released today um, of Neo on the back of a bike with Trinity. And yeah, he looks just like doing some stunt work. And all. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see on that. Um, but yeah, so it was uh, my first cosplay, I guess, was Spider-Man, or then um, was Neo, because my nan was uh, a tailor. Um, oh, cool. She used to work Dress, yeah, she was she was quite helpful. Um, she taught me a lot of sewing growing up as well, which is coming quite handy now. Yeah, definitely. Um, but she works for some really expensive dress dress company in in London, um, and yeah, she helped make a, a neo coat for a four year old me. Wow. Uh, which I I think I uh, I went into I went into like school uh, on a non uniform day, and to me, non uniform day was I'm going to dress up. So I dressed up as neo yeah. to go into school in like leather trousers and this big long black coat and some glasses and everyone else has just gone in quite casually but there i was um, as you get older you're going to high school if you did something like that you don't <laughs> yeah, maybe it doesn't quite work so much years old, everyone thought it was uh like oh my god that's so cool you're neo um but yeah so it was spider-man for me back then um then my dad got me a couple of spider-man comics he had uh, he got a spider-man comic from the 90s i don't know what issue it was i've still got it under my bed in like a box awesome. um he traced it out and put it on a projector and then projected it onto a wall and then kind of sketched it out um, and then painted over it. So I had a massive Spider-Man on my wall. That's really uh, cool. I was about six or seven. Um, it was really cool. Uh, so I don't think I have a picture of it, but I do have the comic. I'll have to try and find it. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was Spider-Man for me at the start. Um, started reading Spider-Man comics. Um, started watching films such as like Batman Begins. Uh, yeah. And um, I think that was the first one. Then I started getting into Batman a little bit more. Um watching all of the old films uh, from the 90s um, and then started reading Batman comics and I really started to like the character of Dick Grayson. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know what it is about sidekicks, but I just seem to uh, to like them more. Okay. Um, That's interesting. So I, I really love the whole Bat family, kind of all the Robins bring something special to the table. Um, so each of them do kind of have a special place in my heart to me. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Dick, probably the number one. Um, I say probably, he definitely is the number one out <laughs> for me. Um, so I really liked Nightwing. Started reading a lot of the Nightwing comics. Uh, this must be about 2008-ish. Um, 2010, something like that. Um, whilst following the Dark Knight films as well as they were coming out. Yeah. Um, created a little fan page on Facebook um, for the Dark Knight Rises as that was coming out. Um, and then some other fan pages um related to bat family and dc characters and just kind of posting news fan art great art from comics and things um snippets from comics but then for my first cosplay uh i think it was so my nan was uh, a tailor as i mentioned earlier yeah and i really love the whole kind of uh rachel ghoul storylines yeah um, and although a lot of people do dislike damien because he is a little bit of a brat <laughs> I really, really liked him because I have um, a Turkish and Italian heritage. Oh, okay. Um, and in my mind, being a little bit younger, I kind of thought, oh, a little bit like Damien's got um, generally Arabic uh, kind yeah. of heritage with Rachel Gaul and stuff. Quite liked his look. And so I tried to think of myself as like a little bit of a, a, a Damien Wayne back then uh, when I was like 12 years old. So I loved the Batman 666 storyline, Batman uh, and stuff. Yeah, that, that issue is amazing. It is really cool. It's, it's a great introduction to him as well, and the whole yeah. relationship with Tim and how violent he is at the start as well, um, before he you know starts to train with his father. But yeah, I love the the alternative future or possible future where Damien is the Batman. 
it's cool that they've gone back to that a couple of times over the years as well and done other stories in it. Yeah, there was uh, they did one a little while ago. So I think it was like eight runs. Yeah, they did. They did a miniseries, didn't they? That was that was back focusing on that timeline. I'd love to see some kind of like a crossover of that and Batman Beyond. Yeah, that would be cool. If they were, I don't know how you'd both make them both canon, really, but like a, a multiverse thing, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. Because um, Batman Beyond has its own comic run and stuff as well. Yeah, it's a really good series, actually. They've just um, Dick Grayson's just come back into it in uh, in Batman Beyond. I love how he's only got one eye as well. It's kind of a little, um, <laughs> little nostalgic to like Deathstroke and stuff. Yeah, true. Hadn't thought about it like that. Uh, but yeah, I uh, so I love that suit, um, and it was pretty much a trench coat, um, zipped up all the way, and then kind of like a skirt or a kilt instead of a cape, um, with the same old kind of uh, yeah, yeah, at the bottom. Um, so my nan made that for me. Um, I think that must have been 2014. She made the trench coat for me. I'll have to find a picture as well. Um, and I used um, Batman Begins gauntlets because I really liked the kind of... It was a very League of Shadows type of pattern. Yeah, they were, weren't they? I love the blades on them as well. They look like they can actually do some damage. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I got some ones that were more like the actual League of Shadows ones where they kind of had some engraving on, not just the plain, uh, okay. like, smooth finish. So I had those, just some generic boots, and I got a Dark Knight cowl and neck piece. With all that together, oh, and just a, a standard utility belt that you can, an actual practical one. Um, okay. I decided to go for a black belt instead of uh, the kind of gold one to make it a little bit more, um, a little bit more uh, tactical looking, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and yeah, so that was my first cosplay. I intended to wear it to MCM Comic Con in October of, I think it was 2014. Uh, but sadly, my friends who I was going to go with cancelled on me, and I'd never oh, like, no. travelled up to London by myself or anything. Um, so instead, I just wore it for Halloween, the Halloween party. Yeah, good idea. But the following year, I did actually go to the con uh, in that cosplay and experienced my first Comic Con, which was it was very interesting. I was just walking around and kind of seeing everything. It was just uh, I was really shocked to see all these characters, like uh, see a Kim Possible, and be like, oh my god, I remember that show. See all the stalls. Um, and yeah, it was just a completely different experience. And seeing all these other other people who also love the same fandom as you, seeing like amazing cosplays. I remember seeing a 1989 Joker and a Batman. I think it was a Batman Returns Batman or 89. I can't remember now. It might make sense if it was an 89 one to go with the Joker. Um, but it was so cool to see like these really high quality costumes because um, mine was, uh, even though it, it fit quite well, it was kind of a little bit baggy on some areas. Um, and now when I look back on it, I kind of notice that in some of the pictures. Yeah, um, yeah. The boots I had were just like hiking boots and stuff. Um, but it was a really good experience. So since then, I think I've been to every London MCM. So after that, I went as Rachel Ghoul um, in May, where I met uh, Willa Holland as Thea Queen, yeah. where I think it was only a few episodes before um, where she actually got stabbed through the chest. Uh, okay. by yeah, it was around that time. So she, when I saw her, she was like, oh my God. The <laughs> uh, October after I did a, a Red Hood cosplay because uh, in oh, my awesome. mind I I never really thought I if I wanted to do Nightwing I wanted to make sure it'd be like a, a really I wanted to make sure I nailed it I wanted to be high quality as possible yeah that makes sense um, and I didn't really have the skills to do that sort of thing at the time and a Red Hood cosplay was a little bit easier you know your leather jacket I think I had, actually had a Red Hood but then also like a spray painted uh, an airsoft helmet tactical shin pads and the armor was uh, just some it was quite it was just flat foam but like panelled and yeah i was pretty happy with that it was a year after that i did my first nightwing cosplay which even though i just mentioned like i wanted to make sure i did it as high quality as possible why uh it was just a, a basic um 
like gym gear type of. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Shirt. And then I sewn sewn on some blue, um, which kind of wrinkled up a little bit as well. It didn't look very neat because it was hand sewn. Yeah. Um, and some cycling trousers and some boots, and I was happy wearing it. To be fair, I felt a little bit self-conscious because it was all very tight. Um, I had been going to the gym a little bit, but not religiously or not with specific goals. Um, and it kind of inspired me to to do better from there. Okay, yeah, that, that's interesting actually. It's a, that's a fair point that I suppose there's there's probably some people that just throw on the costume and they're a bit like you know they just immediately feel like they're in the character when they're wearing it and then there will be those times where you kind of look at it and think actually i don't quite fit the costume that i'm wearing yeah i mean there's nothing wrong with um if you're if your say quality of costume is um at that level sort of thing and if yeah. you're not in the you know the superhero shape which is nearly impossible yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's what it, it should be about and don't worry about what other people think sort of thing but to me i want to be as accurate as possible i want people to see a picture of me or pass like well primarily they're scrolling through their feed they see a picture of me and they think that it is that character or yeah that makes uh, sense that that like character from that show or that film or that character's jump straight off the page type of thing yeah kind of double take so about a year later i did my i call it my uh night of bloodhaven suit from the old uh, chuck dixon yeah uh, scott mcdaniel run with which gave him the uh, classic like gauntlets on the forearms and and uh, pockets on the legs yes uh, pockets on the forearm gauntlets type of thing and i puff painted it all which is puff paint is uh, it comes in a tube and it's quite liquidy uh, but a little bit thick kind of like a a mousse i guess or okay. a coke that comes out for like uh ceiling bathroom tile oh, okay yeah, yeah yeah i'm with you um, it comes out in a little tube like needle point uh, and then dries into a solid plastic. Um, so the, the basic suit was uh, lycra, uh, and then I sewed sewed on the the blue again, made the pockets uh, for the gauntlets and the shins, um, and then puff painted the whole thing uh, to try and have this kind of three D effect that would kind of look like loads of little lines. Uh, to kind yeah. of make it a bit more protective instead of just a plain old one shade black. Yeah, it's uh, kind of give it a little bit more real world feel, um, which is I think what. Just it was just after Batman vs Superman came out, uh, and the Batfleck suit had the same type of patterning. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah, I can picture it. So yeah, that was the first time I did that, and I really loved that suit. Sadly, it's got a little bit worn now because I've worn it quite a few times. I was just going to say, do you keep hold of them all afterwards? Even some of the older ones that you maybe don't wear anymore. I think there's any of? Oh no, I did sell. I did a Green Lantern once, and I sold that because it wasn't to the level I wanted it to be at. Um, and then I could put the money towards a, another cosplay. Yeah, but then after I did that Nightwing suit, which I still have, there, if I redid that suit, there would be other things I could change about. Like I only had uh, two practical pockets on the forearm and two practical ones on the legs, um, but then the others were more just for show, just for the aesthetic. Yeah, so I make them all practical if I could um, use an actual sewing machine um, and have a little bit more definition in the suit because it was quite flat in some areas. I'd say the zipper was stood out a little bit on the back i'd like to have the blue look a little bit more because it I, I didn't puff paint the blue i just left that as the the lycra that it was i'd like to have a little bit of definition in that maybe okay that's the the comics that got me into nightwing is my favorite run of nightwing as well as the chuck dixon and scott mcdaniel like uh 95 to 2003 ish run i think it was is that when he had the ponytail i think it was one of the first issues with chuck dixon that they cut off his ponytail i think he, yeah, he had was, the ponytail prime um, and he was fighting some villains over a bridge, I think, and one of them accidentally cut it. <laughs> that was as they were kind of translating him out of the uh, the disco Nightwing era, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that good old disco suit. Um, and then he went back to kind of having quite long hair for your average person, but 
maybe just long enough if you wanted to put it in a man bun it would just (laughs) he kept it down because obviously that's much cooler than a man bun (laughs) obviously um but yeah so i loved i loved the style of that um and having those having the the gauntlet and shin pockets i just really love that look because you get a lot of uh characters where you don't actually know where do they keep their stuff uh batman obviously um there was some nightwing runs um like i love jim lee's art for nightwing and hush um but he didn't include the um the pockets it's a very sleek version of it isn't it He's a very sleek, yeah. I just love the way um, the way he looks in that. Um, makes mid parting look really cool in his hair as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he just didn't. He didn't have the pockets, but he did. I remember seeing one piece of art. Um, it was like a sketch before the final sketch, and Jim did include the pockets. Um, oh, and I wish really? he did that through because that would have been that would have been amazing. Um, but yeah, I love the practicalness of that. The blue going across the chest. Um, and down to the fingertips as well. It's quite quite unique. Um, then after that, the other Nightwings are done. Is it? I can't remember what it is. The the DC Universe animated movies. Um, that started with Justice League yes, War, yep. um, and then going on to Batman vs Robin. Nightwing had a great suit in that. I and mean, I was never a massive fan of the bird logo because I loved the kind of V across the chest. But I really liked that suit, so I decided to do that suit. And instead of kind of puff painting, you know. 50 hours or so um it took on the old suit where wow. I, you know, I had to take time out of seeing friends like oh can you come out this evening and hang out i was like i can't really because i've got to work on the cosplay i kind of wanted to spend a little bit more money on it but be able to have a bit more of a social life and do things outside of working on the that cosplay. makes sense yeah um so there's a great company in france called replica industries um and they do a 3d printed fabric um so they kind of have the lycra or whatever fabric it is, and they kind of uh, have whatever pattern you want, and they kind of put a squeegee across it, I think, and then it kind of leaves the mark of what you need. Um, so it was the same type of pattern I got for them, and they sewed it for me over there as well. So that was a great base suit, which I used. I just pretty much had to glue on the logo, which I got from Tigerstone FX. Um, yeah. Pockets. It's probably my most practical suits because the pockets on that. And then I've, I've done a, another couple here and there, but then there was my Titans Nightwing suit. So... That was the big one. Um, I'd been, as soon as they announced Titans and Dick Grayson was going to be in it, um, before they announced he was going to be Robin or the Robin picture was released, I assumed he'd be Nightwing. And I kind of thought, okay, so I'm going to want to, I want to do this as high quality as I can because this is going to be the first time my favorite character um, is going to become live action. I mean, we yeah. had Batman and Robin where he had the the red the red logo on the suit, which was very, you know, very Nightwing inspired. It was very strange that. That's, I mean, I so I that was what was that nineteen ninety seven that film, so so the year you were born, um, I was twelve, um, and so I I wasn't into comics enough at the time to know that that wasn't a Robin suit. I just remember thinking, well, that's really weird because that's not that's not Robin, but I didn't really know what Nightwing was at the time. And now looking back on it, I'm like, why did they put him in a Nightwing suit and still call him Robin? It's really weird. He mentioned, he was like, he quit at one point type of thing. He was like, I'll become my, my own person. I have my own signal in the sky. Yeah. Uh, Nightwing, or I can't remember what else he mentioned, but he mentioned Nightwing. Yeah, he does. When he's trying to think of a name in Batman uh, Forever, he's like, what should I call myself? Uh, Batboy, Nightwing. Yeah, I remember that. Um, Batboy, that sounds like a good one. Yeah. Done with that. Um, but yeah, so I think they were going to pro- probably intend for him to become Nightwing, because uh, he had the silver one at the end, didn't he? That was... Very yeah, yes, that's yeah. That's the point where they were just making things for the sake of toys rather than for the sake of a story. 
But yeah, so that was kind of, I guess, the first Nightwing suit. But the, so officially, the first Nightwing was going to come out in Titans, and I was yeah. really excited for that. And I've been in cosplay for a while, so yeah, I had that other suit that I mentioned earlier, the Replica Industries one, and I was like, okay, so I want to, I want to make sure that when this suit comes out, I want to do it as high quality as possible. Um, so I started saving up a little bit um, into a separate account just to kind of put some money aside to probably work with Replica Industries again because they make amazing quality suits uh, and they made a really accurate daredevil suit and i was kind of hoping it'd be the same type of suit it's quite sleek um kind yeah. of like really printed fabric pattern um that looks like you could take a, a couple of bullets or a couple of stabs and a kind of thin paneling underneath like the chest in some areas the original nightwing suit was going to be in the finale of series one but then they scrapped that so i remember seeing i remember watching the series one the, the official now series one finale which must have been like december 2018 yeah it will be seeing the suit and being a little bit gutted um but also i didn't have enough kind of money saved up to to make it to the quality it, it could have been but then yeah when it came out for series two they couldn't have released it any better um because when they released it i mean i told friends uh when san diego comic-con was on a new york comic-con i was saying like okay so if if the suit comes out um literally call me because it's the most important thing to me right now. <laughs> I need to know. I just need to see it as soon as anybody else does. That is what happened. I think it was November 23rd, maybe? Or 18th? I can't remember. It was right before the episode aired, wasn't it? Because they weirdly went and did that strange launch sort of ceremony for the costume before the actual episode was out. It was for episode 11. Oh, no, 12. Because yeah. 13 was Nightwing. At 12, they did a little reveal at the end. but Yes, you didn't really see it, did you? Yeah, you pretty much it just turns and you kind of you don't really see what it is, but you see there's a mannequin there in a suit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I had I, I woke up uh, about two o'clock, just middle of the night, Stanley woke up and I knew straight away where it was because um, he wouldn't call me otherwise, I don't think, at that sort of time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Turned on my Wi-Fi, a flood of messages from everyone saying, like, oh, are you seeing this? Are you seeing this? Lindy, um, uh, Laura Jean Shannon was doing a, a live um showing the the suits and stuff um they literally had the suit underneath a, a blanket a sheet pulled the sheet off for a massive reveal and you could see every detail of the suit yeah you got there was a lot that we got to see that first day in those photos you could see pretty much every detail literally it was so good um i mean there was the other suits as well as well but you don't care about them right now <laughs> no one was even looking at the other suits that were there that was the thing that was supposed to celebrate all the costumes of titans and everyone was just like nightwing all i want to see is nightwing they know they know what it's about they know what we all care about so about a month earlier, there was a, a really blurry leaked image of the Nightwing suit. Oh, yeah, um, there was, wasn't there? Yeah, from the from the filming. I think it was from the like finale shot where they're all walking together in the um, yeah, yeah, down the under. As soon as it was released, I saw and I was like, "Oh my god, that is so much armor!" <laughs> um, it was. It is a really. At first, I was a little bit skeptical because of how much armor there was, and even in the episode, um, he said, um, "Move more, get hit less." That was our mantra, and. It's got less panelling, um, which I don't think really correlated with their costume team. No, uh, it did it. Definitely more armour there. Um, so at first I was a little bit sceptical about that, um, but it did grow on me a lot more. Um, they've got the blue finger trip. Um, got, got it going blue down to the middle two fingers. Um, I like the way they've made the shoulders blue. Uh, they've got kind of the... The old night, the like the, the late nineties Nightwing logo, where the T kind of goes out into like that logo, where it has that little dip in the middle. Yes, they didn't quite do the full bird thing, did they? 
no, they didn't do a full bird and they didn't just do the V. They kind of did that in between look, um, which kind of like that logo um, and a lot like the 1989, 1997 uh, Robin suit, um, which was taken from that logo, obviously. Um, so that was that kind of grew on me as well to have that. Uh, it's a great shade of blue, um, which varies in the light as well. I think the arms are a little bit lighter than the torso. Um, and yeah, so definitely as well. Um, and so yeah, so I went from there, started uh, speaking to the relevant people, and I said I wanted to get this done and made as soon as possible. Um, wanted to make sure it was as high quality as possible as well. Um, I mean, I could have got it done could have got it done quite fast you know and then could post about it and such but i didn't i wanted this to be like my suit i want to wear to like nearly every con i want it to be yeah you know this i'm going to be like the star piece this yeah this is this is the ultimate you know uh i've been waiting for this for so long type of thing um but on the other hand as well you know you get a bit of, if you're the first to do something you can get a bit more traction going for it and although that shouldn't be the primary reason that people cosplay um there is a perk of you know you get more traction going for it you can gain more followers and having more followers means you can get more great opportunities such as being invited to premieres yeah true items or being able to promote things and work with great brands and things um so that is a factor um of why i wanted the suit to be done so fast i mean i think there was a couple of people before me and it was amazing it was great work i think they made it from scratch from foam themselves um and you know i think there's a lot of tension apparently in, in some of the nightwing cosplayers in the community i've not ever had it myself oh really i've heard that some people can be a little bit um gatekeeping about things and a little bit self-obsessed uh with stuff um so i i've always tried not to be like that at all um and kind of you know we all appreciate the same character here we all love this character you know your suit looks great you know, I, exactly. you know, I'll, yes. I'll tell yeah. you, it great. you know, I don't want to go putting anyone down or anything. Um, but yeah, so I commissioned uh, 3D printed armor and for the legs, I decided to go with foam because they're a little bit, you want to be able to move more a little I bit. I was going to say, it probably gives you more freedom of movement, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and so I had a friend in London, uh, commissioned him to, to make those. Um, and I think within two weeks, I had this suit ready. I started painting. Um yeah, started painting all of that. Um, Velcro on the back, the base suit, Velcro on that. Um, that was quite hard to glue down as well and keep it all in place because it can't really sew through the uh, the scuba gear type of fabric. Oh, I suppose no, it's probably quite thick fabric, isn't it? It was very, yeah, very thick, so the needle just wouldn't go through, um, and you can't really like, hold all the Velcro in place with the glue while it's drying. Yeah, got there eventually. Um, I made the mask myself while I was waiting for stuff to be three D printed and made. Um, I previously bought some um, sculpting clay, made a mold of my face, um, some urethane and silicone, um, and been able to sculpt and make my own mask based off That's the cool. nightwing suit. I was really proud to do that because that was the first time I've done anything like that. And yeah, then I uh, spoke to a, a photographer um, who lives nearby. And last time I shot with him was about a year before, um, and kind of explained the situation to him. Like, I'll have the suit ready, sort of thing. I want to be able to. Um, get a shoot in um and i think the first nightwing picture i posted was literally it was a, a, a shoot i did in my bedroom um we put up a backdrop um there wasn't enough depth to get a full body shot um so he was like in the hallway shooting through the door <laughs> so, really uh, wide so, angle lens yeah we, uh, it was quite hard to get get it all in but we we did it in the end and i was really proud of it it's really hard to wear because it's all 3d printed and I'm worried about things breaking um yeah, so yeah. I, ended up going back to replica industries to 
uh, get them to cast it all in urethane. Um, so it should have a bit more movement to it. So I can actually wear it for a day at con instead of feeling like a statue. Good idea. Uh, they're working on that because the next time I wear it will be um, MCM May. I was just about to say, is it going to be ready in time for me? Oh, yeah, it should be ready by the end of this month uh, or the early next month um, and then back to me. And then I, I think all I need to do then is just glue the Velcro back onto the back of it. Yeah. Um, and that's it, really. Um, October just gone. I had uh, I made a, a Titans group yeah. um, of other cosplayers, uh, which I was robbing. Um, and that was really cool to do. So we're kind of doing that again uh, in May. Um, but we've got even more characters this time. Um, awesome. We've also got a, a Doom Patrol cyborg. Oh, I love that outfit, actually. I thought that was really cool how practical that costume was. Yeah, it's quite easy because, I mean, he's he's part human still. Um, and he's just got like a jogging gear on um, and then the, the helmet. And I love, um, if you've seen behind the scenes, they kind of have like a, a magnetized piece of plastic that they glue onto his face. And then the actual 3D printed kind of armor piece uh, for his face just kind of clicks on oh, okay that already did it it's quite good um but yeah I got, in my mind i kind of thought you know even though doom patrol is a separate earth from titan well they would have been in that original season one finale so it makes sense anyway i thought you know doom patrol is pretty much the same uh, on the other earth and they've got cyborg and you know what cyborg needs to be a member of the titans so i got he a really does. so yeah so i got a, basically a dc universe our accurate cyborg to join us um to kind of get more of the classic teen titans look going um so yeah i'm really looking forward to that i so my i mean i've only ever done i don't know if you even call it cosplay i mean i've got my spider-man suit that i wore once which is just a zentai suit um and i kind of i uh i liked the fact that particularly mcm from my experience of it that the cosplay community was really welcoming of anyone that wants to try uh any level of cosplaying whether it's something that you bought whether it's something that you tried to make and it you know it might not look great but they appreciate the effort so i've always thought of it as quite a welcoming community of people it's quite good especially in like big groups like big spider-man groups and stuff that you know they they, you do kind of bond over loving the character sometimes you do get some some people who are a little bit elitist like they think they're better than yours because you know they've got a better quality suit or something and they they think that that makes them better than you um, which is a really bad train of thought and, and way yeah. to do um, It's quite a shame. Um, but no, it's a quite a welcoming community as well. I've made a lot of great friends through the community um, that I have a lot of stuff in common with. Um, and s- sadly, a lot of them all live um, all over the country and other countries. Um, so you yeah. know, very often, but that makes MCM that more, like con that more special. Yeah, it's great because you get to do that. You get to kind of see people that you've not seen for ages and meet up and do the whole, you know, put the cosplay on and, it just it makes it more of a big deal for you, though. Yeah. So instead of it just being kind of like you're in a hall, you're in a costume, it's you know you're you're seeing all these people you haven't seen for ages, and you're doing photo shoots with them, and all these pictures and memories you get to make with them and stuff. And well, that's why I love to stay at the con as well, because instead of just being there during the daytime, you kind of have the evenings together and stuff. And yeah, big um, thing. The one thing that I've always wondered, just about the whole cosplay thing. Again, it's something that I would like to try more, and I'm going to try and do more of it this year. Um, but when you when you put that suit on, do you do you feel empowered by it? Do you feel like you are that character? I don't feel like I am that character. I still feel like I'm I'm me, but I yeah. do feel really I do, do feel really good to be in the suit. Um, once you've got the mask on, you've got everything on. I'd love to just do a flip type of thing. Yeah, 
like a very circus style type of flip and stuff. Um, it does feel good. You do get some people who stay in character for like the whole day. I have a friend who cosplays Batman and he's come up to me before um, when I'm with my Titans. And he's like, I told you to shut this down. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, and I'm like, uh, yeah, um, right. What? I've, I don't, don't really know how to act sometimes and stuff. Um, and it is really wholesome when you do get um, like kids uh, who really love the character and they want a picture with you because in their mind yes. you are literally that character that they see on TV or in the film and stuff. And that is just it's just really sweet. Yeah, I had to sign a couple of autographs for kids when I was dressed as Spider Man actually, and I was just like, this is this is quite cool actually. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, it just it's just childlike innocence and stuff, and yeah, actually met Spider Man and stuff, so it's really cool. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I do feel a little bit more powerful. But then after being in it for a few hours, often a fair few of them can ache a little bit. Okay. Uh, a bit restrictive like the currently the the titans nightwing suit being 3d printed after a couple hours or an hour or so shooting in it uh, my shoulders started to ache a little bit so i'm trying to hold hold them in a certain place yes um but then there's other suits like my robin suit and my um animated series nightwing suit both of those are so comfortable i've literally after a con before just like laid down on a bed in them or <laughs> so with friends like you can just sit down you can do pretty much anything in them it's really comfortable Oh, okay. Is there anyone that you haven't cosplayed as that you would like to? Um, there is a list, a little list I have of characters <laughs> I want to cosplay. I mean, I've done a few versions of Dick Grayson, so I've done. Uh, I did a, a Flying Grayson's version, which was from like the Bombshell. Uh, shit. Uh, no, the Flashpoint. Yes. Paradox series. Um, I've not actually worn that to a con, but I do have the costume. I've taken a couple of pictures. Uh, I've done the 1966 Robin. Done the Titans Robin now. Uh, done the Chuck Dixon, uh, Scott McDaniel Nightwing, um, animated series Nightwing, now Titans Nightwing. Um, did a red Nightwing once as well, kind of like possessed by Poison Ivy. Oh, that's cool. Um, kind of inspired by Hush, um, but then I thought red kind of makes it a little bit. I've been tempted to do like a renegade Nightwing, quite like that storyline. Yeah. But I'd love to do a Green Lantern, but have the armor literally look as if it was glowing. Um, so I'd have to, I've, I've tried to look into it before. You kind of need like a clear plastic, kind of like acrylic, but a little bit more flexible um, and kind of install LED lights into it. Um, so kind of like it looks like it's actually energy, not okay. a yeah, yeah. That was awesome. fake chunk. Um, so I've seen some people do like, like, a, like an armored green lantern with foam and stuff before. Um, but to me, I, like what I want to achieve from it isn't something that's like completely solid. I want to be able to like kind of see through it a little bit. And I, yeah. I really like the Green Lantern movie suit because it looks like organic, um, the way it kind of flows um, with the body and yeah. kind of yeah. like going through it. Um, but then you can see that's, that wasn't able to be practical itself. So it'd be quite hard to make kind of that as a base and then have the, the armored lights. Yeah. I'm trying to think if I've ever seen anyone that's tried to do that suit. I don't think I have. I mean, I, I did that for a Green Lantern. I did uh, last year, the year before uh, LFCC and kind of had had some plastic kind of armor um, and it was OK. But it, I don't know. I, that's why I sold it because I wasn't fully happy with it. It wasn't what I wanted to achieve. Um, maybe one day I'll be able to. Um, but I don't have that much of what I, I call like a dream cosplay I want to do. I'm working on something at the moment, which is a, quite a big build and... I want to do it right, um, which is uh, Kevin Eleven from Ben Ten. Okay, yeah. Um, so it's got four arms, it's got a tail, it's got it's 
quite quite a big thing. Um, yeah, it sounds like it. So I did like a Ben 10,000 last year and I had like a heat blast arm and I was really proud of how I kind of made, I made foam look as if it was like molten lava. I've seen pictures of it. Yes. And I was really proud of that. So I'm reusing that arm as well because that's conveniently the same arm as well. Um, but I'm doing a, a diamond head arm. So I've really, I'm trying to make that look like as if it is a crystal with a little bit see-through. It's the same type of issue as the Green Lantern. It's kind of like to make it look smooth and a little bit see-through um but kind of a little bit of color in there um so working on that and um, that'll be for mcma um it's kind of a main thing but now i've kind of done the nightwing suit that was kind of like the titans nightwing suit it was kind of a lot was building up to that in my mind was yeah. must ever live action nightwing suit and and i'm really glad i like it as well even though i was skeptical at points and you know there are improvements i would make on it and there are some things i would prefer if they did um but you never know yeah, you never know. The budget might get a bit of an increase. Yeah, hopefully. Um, and with the possible Bat Family being built in the new Matt Reeves Batman uh, film, I'd like to see Nightwing and live action. Um, and hopefully, well, I mean, I say live action. I mean on the big, the big screen. Yeah. Um, and do those sort of things that I missed. They missed out on in the uh, series, the Titan series yeah. suit. I assume they wouldn't redo a another suit for a good, to like series five or six, probably. Yeah, it's not like sort of the Arrowverse where they tend to make tweaks every season. I would imagine that Nightwing suit's going to stay as it is for a little while. Yeah, because, I mean, the Arrowverse suits are all um, a lot like Plever and uh, yeah. easier to make tweaks on that. I mean, they did the Flash suit quite well. They've made a lot of changes on that. Yeah, that's one that tends to get quite a big upgrade every year, doesn't it? But then, the, yeah, the Nightwing suit, I imagine, they'll keep because they kept basically the same design other than the shoulders and then the type of materials cast in from the Series 1 finale to the Series 2 finale. Yeah, to me, I think the perfect nightwing suit would be i'd love to see a design that is more like the daredevil um netflix series suit or a little bit like captain america films um look to it where it kind of has that kind of mesh fabric to it that makes it look a little bit like it could take a little bit of a beating yeah a bit more street level yeah um uh, still be quite sleek um but like daredevil i can believe can actually do flips and stuff in his suit Nightwing, even though you see the stunt double do it, it doesn't look like he practically could. Yeah, yeah. That's actually going to take a bullet. It ain't, isn't going to start bending when you do the flips and stuff and going to be so restrictive over crunching your stomach and stuff and bending your arms. Yeah, it would be... It would, there's so many... just so many possibilities of stuff that they could do with it. Titans Nightwing suit, they drew a lot of... Um, the more I looked at it, the more I saw different little areas that they, they drew from different comics... Um, such as that logo. Um, what else have I seen? There was... Oh, I can't think right now, but there is a lot of different stuff uh, in that suit. And the sticks. The sticks are perfect. They are, actually. They When he got those out, that was just... I don't think I nearly fell off my seat in that scene when he does that. It was just perfect. It, well, they are literally... They, they, I love that they're electric as well, kind of like the Arkham games. Yes. Uh, like up a little bit blue instead of just you know instead of plain old sticks but it's a little bit odd that he stores them on like his lower back and then they yes. kind of extend i'd love to because i love the the silhouette of him kind of having them coming out of the top of his back and kind of going up about the same length of his head coming out yeah it was yeah to have them sort of where they were is a little bit odd placement wise isn't it yeah um but that's just being picky i guess <laughs> it can't, it's never going to be perfect is it? it's never going to be perfect you uh you mentioned about um 
kind of opportunities to do things like go to the the birds of prey premiere that i know you were at recently when when does stuff like that kind of kick off for you and how how did that kick off um so i've had these opportunities uh primarily through uh my ex-partner um she had a bit of a uh because she has more of a following than me and she was able to build up uh, relationships with DC uh, okay. and Warner Brothers um, who um, invited her, her and me as a plus one to some events um, such as the Aquaman premiere. That was the first one we went to. That was really cool to go to. Um, we didn't have to go in cosplay, but we decided to anyway, uh, walking on the, the red carpet. Um, that was really fun, uh, kind of being there on the red carpet and looking out at everyone. It was yeah, like we were nearly going to be in the crowd as well, kind of with everyone. It was just really cool but one of the best things we've done was shazam yeah uh, that was really cool because there wasn't a premiere but it was an early screening and a meet and greet beforehand oh yeah 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 got to meet zachary levi and mark strong and uh peter safran the producer yeah. uh david sandberg the director um and loads of other people there you know it was, it was free drinks but sadly i had to drive so i couldn't have a drive <laughs> but it was, yeah free drinks free food um it was only about 20 to 30 people, um, mainly yeah, press. Yeah, it was a really small like, crowd. Uh, yeah, it was, it was very small, but it was, it was really good because it, because it was small. Um, everyone said it was very casual uh, and informal because um, it wasn't like kind of everyone queuing up to then meet a star. It was kind of like you're standing around and they'd go around and kind of start chatting to them. And it was just a really casual conversation about stuff. Um, That's you didn't pretty feel... cool. We were, so we didn't get to go to the meet degree for that one, but we were there for the screening. And, uh, I knew a few people that were at that meet degree with you and we decided to think that you were going to a completely different screening room because it was like hang on a minute this film is literally supposed to start any minute now and you guys haven't come back yet no one's there yeah i think they, they always do that though don't they, they with um like the meet and greets and the things they're supposed to start at one time they always start an hour later yeah it's true i mean the birds of prey premiere the live stream pretty much ended up getting cut off before they'd finished because they had to rush everyone in yeah i Oh, the Birds of Prey premiere. So I had the opportunity to go to the Birds of Prey premiere through um, a friend who cosplays as well. And the, the deal kind of was we were to kind of cosplay yeah. uh, relevant characters, but no one could be the Joker, obviously, because it was, uh, you know, all about Harley Quinn. Oh, really? So was were you specifically told that you couldn't be Joker? Yeah, no one's allowed to be the Joker for this. Uh, and um, we were all kind of walked down while they're still setting up and put into a pen, I believe it's called. Yes. Um, and I, it was it was really cool because we still were all setting up and kind of lifting up the um, the the plastic that they had over the the, the yellow carpet. It was um, yeah. so obviously didn't want to get dirty before the stars went down. And then I was like, oh god, we're going to be locked in here for the like, next two hours. You see all these people walking down, and Margot was getting. So we, we met uh, Janae Bell. Uh, yeah. She was really lovely to meet. It was only quite brief, um, but Margot was coming down, and she was getting. Um, kind of a little bit hassled by fans like people really pushing in front of each other and security there was four security guards around her and remember this one guy at the back really pushing his way forward um from like further down the end i think she kind of missed him and he carried on pushing his way down to like get the oh god yeah um security guard was really shouting at him like he needs to back up he's not going to get this sign just like stop crushing people um and they were trying to rush her down because i think they wanted to get her in and i thought oh my god by the time she gets to us cosplayers, she's going to be like rushed down even more. I'm not going to get an opportunity to like say hi or anything. So I got my phone out and my camera ready. Um, and as soon as she got there, she actually stopped. Um, and in my mind, I'm just straight away, like straight away, just say, take, can, can I have a selfie, please? Can I have a selfie, please? And she started saying something like, oh my God, that looks great. Um, and then went to go on to say something else. And I just cut her off mid conversation. Like, <laughs> 
my brain was already going there and then she kind of paused and looked at me like because I cut her off and I was like oh my god what have I done um, <laughs> but I got a selfie with her and she was absolutely lovely um she's very sweet um and she had a lot of time for us all in cosplay which was which That's was really nice. good um but yeah I felt like a complete idiot that I'd cut her off uh, midway through a conversation um, um but yeah she went down and she was excited to see everyone and then she got a group selfie with us all at the end like security was telling her to go in um right now and she was like no like these guys have put a lot of effort in i'll stop i'll i'll, I'll stand for another second and take a selfie with them um so that was really appreciated um and then after that we got to go in and see the film that's so cool inside where it was warm because it was very cold outside yeah it was not a nice day for it at least it wasn't raining i suppose but yeah it wasn't raining luckily um but yeah, then we got to see the film, and that was it was a great experience uh, overall. Such a great, a great day to do all that sort of stuff, um, and and yeah, see them, see the stars. Um, yeah, and then you, you saw it a couple of days later, didn't you? An early screen. Yeah, so I saw it the Tuesday after. I t- yeah, I'm never going to stop pinching myself about the fact that we get to see some of this stuff early. It's so cool. It is so cool. It is such an amazing thing. Um, like Batman Hush, I think that's where I kind of first met you. Yes, yep, yeah, I remember seeing you at that one. I think I must have seen, I don't know what I saw you at before, but I think I saw you at Batman Hush and I thought you looked familiar or something. Maybe I must have seen you at another event. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think what, there's, there's just been so much DC-wise. They're amazing at doing stuff like this for all these film releases. It is really good. Yeah, it's, it's great opportunities that they, they do give to the fans. Um, there was this one guy at the, the Roller Disco as well, actually. I don't know. Um, he saw, um, I was with a, a couple of people, uh, both dressed as Harley Quinn. Um, and he went up to one of them and said, "Oh, that's that looks. You look. You're dressed very interestingly. What are you dressed as?" Um, and oh dear, like, Harley Quinn. You know, from the film we're here to like about. Yeah. They're like, "Oh no, I didn't know that's what she looked like." And it's like there's literally a poster right there. Yeah, it's that was an interesting crowd at that uh, event. Actually, it was. It's weird because when you think that the stuff like Batman Hush, that's obviously that's those of us that are really into it and either kind of from the cosplay side of things or like fan journalism side of things whereas that roller disco was a mix more of like our crowd and more of the kind of social media influencer crowd who kind of and hence with like the the um love island people that a lot of them yes. were at the premiere as well which i yeah i guess it's like even though they don't know necessarily a fandom for it or anything they they have a big following they're going to post it they're there so actually, the last thing I was going to ask you was where you know where can people see you next? But I guess that would be uh, are you going to do any cosplay for LFCC or is it going to be MCM next? Uh, yeah, LFCC. I want to do a kind of casual cosplay. Um, so I'm doing kind of like inspired by my Ben Ten Thousand, just like a Ben Ten cosplay, a bit of a different Omnitrix, and trying to look a little bit more tactical with it, really, because obviously I'm not ten years old, so a little bit more grown up look. Yeah. Um, so that'd be quite a casual look um, for that. Um, after that. I am guesting at BathCon uh, for the Sunday of next month, um, part of nice. uh, Creed Conventions, um, which will be yeah, Sunday the, let me just double check, Sunday the 29th um, at BathCon for the whole day on Sunday, um, so you'll see me there, and then after that I don't know what other plans I have um, other than MCM May, where I'm there for the whole weekend, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Um, maybe going to Cos Expo um, in April, but I'm not 100% yet. So, yeah, that would be the next places I'm definitely at. Awesome. And uh, actually, one thing we definitely should not forget is uh, just tell people where they can find you on social media. 
Of course. Uh, so I primarily use Instagram as my form of social media, um, which is at Pajama Boy Wonder. Um, so it's Pajama, uh, is it underscore? <laughs> um, uh, pajama underscore Boy underscore Wonder. Um, and that's where I primarily post all my stories and new cosplays and older cosplays, uh, pictures and stuff on my feed. Um, and yeah, and then my email and stuff's on there if anyone ever wants to contact me. Personal appearances. Personal appearances. <laughs> Birthday parties and bar mitzvahs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, thanks very much for joining us. And uh, yeah, we'll look forward to seeing you soon at a convention. No worries. Thanks very much for having me. And I can't wait to see you again soon. See you soon. Okay, bye. Next up in the film reviews is another one that I went to see without you. <laughs> um, not because you didn't want to see this one, um, but just because I, I was Nicola's plus one. Uh, thank you very much to Nicola from We Have a Hulk. Uh, so next up, I'm going to talk about Pixar's new film, Onward, which stars Chris Pratt and Tom Holland. Okay, I'm coming, I'm coming. I see you've brought sustenance for our adventure. No, it's garbage for the trash can, and you left the lid off. Oh, shoot. Get out of here. Shoot, get Ugh, unicorns. Quest. It's not a quest. It's just a really fast and strange errand. It's totally a quest. Onward is directed by Dan Scanlon. It stars Tom Holland as Ian Lightfoot, Chris Pratt as Barley Lightfoot, Julia Louise Dreyfus as their mother Laurel Lightfoot. It also stars John Ratzenberger, Octavia Spencer, Mel Rodriguez, Lena Waithe, Ali Wong, Tracy Ullman, and George Pizarras. The film is released in cinemas on Friday... Uh, ooh, I don't even know what date it is on Friday. Friday the 6th of March 2020. I've not heard much about Onward. Really? Well, you don't really see a lot of it. I've not seen it in the press. I actually had this conversation with Nicola as we were leaving the cinema. I did say that I don't feel like people are very aware of it considering it's a Disney Pixar film. I've not I'm not aware. What's it all about? Alfie <laughs> Oh, I did sing that in my head. <laughs> uh so it's about two brothers, uh Ian and Barley. So Ian's played by Tom Holland and Barley's played by Chris Pratt. Um Ian is the younger brother of the two and it's his sixteenth birthday and he finds out on his sixteenth birthday uh, so, so their dad has passed away at some point. Uh so Barley, Chris Pratt's character, has, has four memories of his dad. Um, and they were raised by their mother, who's played by Julia Louise Dreyfus. Uh, and it's Ian's 16th birthday. And he finds out on his 16th birthday that he has a present from his dad. Um, the mum's been keeping it in the loft and she wasn't to give it to, to the boys until both of them were 16. And it's a magic staff. Um, and with it is a note that basically says that they can have their dad back for 24 hours by casting a spell. Um and they cast it and it goes wrong so then they have to go on a little treasure hunt to find a gem to help complete the spell but it's actually basically Dungeons and Dragons Okay. so all the creature designs are kind of based on creatures that you would find in Dungeons and Dragons 
and the quest that they go on is very much a Dungeons and Dragons quest. Um, and there are lots of. It's. It, I don't think it's actually like it's not like officially a, adapted from Dungeons and Dragons, but everything will be familiar to you as a D and D player as they go on this quest to find this magical item. Interesting. I'm sure it's a much more child-friendly version of Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> uh, on the whole, yes, it doesn't shy away from parental loss, so they don't gloss over the fact that the dad has passed away. Um, well, I hope not. It's the main part of the story. It, it, yeah, it is the main part of the story, but it's not like it's presented in a way that it's like, oh dear, the dad is gone. It is the, the whole part of the story is about how. Barley didn't say goodbye to his dad when his dad was ill and dying. And then the whole idea of him coming back, even for a short period of time. And amazingly, it's not predictable either. So it being Disney Pixar and me telling you it's about a parent who's sort of not in their lives, how are you thinking it might end? Well, I don't know, because I think Disney are quite clever. and Well, not clever, but they're they're very sensible in that whenever they tackle these issues, they do them really well. Yeah. And they always have done it really well. Like, you know, Bambi's mum died. Never seen it. Have you not seen Bambi? Well, I probably saw it when I was like four, but My not God. within living memory. But no, that's really sad. And it's it's really obvious that that's what's happened. Because, you know, the gun goes down and then somebody has a venison burger. But then you've okay. got things like Lion King, where Mufasa, True. Yes. he's gone. Bah! Yeah, yep, thank you. Um, what else? There's not, you know, they're not. Up, God, up broke me. Oh, I looked up at the ceiling up! then. What is it? Up! <laughs> it's an old man. True, I, you, are, you, are, you are right. They do know how to handle it. And so, if any part of you goes into this film thinking, oh, the dad will just be alive at the end, then... I'm sorry, you'll be sorely disappointed. But, you know, it's a very important thing to, to normalise these conversations. There's even uh, a, an LGBTQ character in there, which uh, was just dropped in really casually and very, very normal, which was uh, which was quite nice for a Disney film. Because, you know, Love, Simon, now known as Love, Victor, has been shunted off Disney Plus because it's not family friendly. Mm. However, there's films in there that have graphic violence. Don't get me started on that one. <laughs> But you know, they've won me over normalising death. Well well done. Yeah, it's handled it's handled really, really well. So there's a quest, there's dragons, fighting, swords, adventure, and some there's a nice uh, beating heart underneath the story as well. There's great characters and it's just it's really it's really, really nice. I got choked up a couple of times watching it. That was the dead parent effect. But it's good to normalise these conversations. Absolutely, it is. As I say to my students all the time. <laughs> Normalise. Yeah. Well, not like that, but we have you know, a grown-up discussion about these things. It was interesting because we went to a child-friendly screening of it, um, which is why I came home on Saturday with a glittery tattoo of Tom Holland's character on my hand. Um, it was just another day. I didn't think to question it. I wondered whether there would have been any kids that were really sort of upset afterwards or parents that looked a bit worried about any awkward questions that were going to come their way, but everyone seemed... Perfectly normal afterwards, and the kids all loved it. I suppose kids don't really think of death as a bad thing because they don't know how to react to it until we tell them how to react to it. It's very true. So we don't. So if it's one of those things where you don't talk about it, then 
you're not going to talk about it. Yeah. But if you do it, if you normalize it early enough, then it's fine. It's fair it's enough. It's very matter of fact, really, isn't it? Yeah. Sorry, I'm taking this into a whole other place now. All right, it's fair enough. Um, this is the point where you asked me what my highlight moments were. Yes. What were your highlights? Uh, there's a there's a lovely dance sequence uh, with the dad's legs because that's the only part that they managed to bring back when they do the spell the first time is his legs. His upper body is completely missing, um, and it's really nice the way they are able to bond with their dad even though it's only half of him. So they communicate through like. What's, so uh, Barley tells a story that when he was a kid he used to drum on his dad's foot he used to sit next to him and just go and so that's how the dad knows that he's come back when there's only half of him they're sentient legs some suspension of disbelief is required uh, so he taps on the dad's feet and that's how the dad knows it's him uh, but, and obviously the dad then doesn't know the younger one because he didn't really have chance to know him so it, there's, you get all these nice moments where he reaches out and touches him with his foot and it's like oh there's two of them there and they still manage to convey a lot of emotion, even though it's just a pair of legs. Interesting. So then there's a, there's um, there's a sequence where uh, so they drive around in a van, which is that van I was taking pictures with in Leicester Square on Saturday. They drive around in Barley's van when they're on their quest, and the dad uh, likes music and can feel the vibration of music. So the legs start dancing, and then they all end up dancing together, and it's a nice bonding moment for the two of them with the dad, which is really nice. Uh, I thought something else I was going to say then that I really liked. Actually, I really, really liked how grown up the third act is when they have the kind of the big fight and what happens during that. I'm not going to spoil it because, you know, it's not out yet and that would be pretty harsh to go, hey, this is what happens. Uh, but it's, gets you right in the, uh, right in the chest, it does. Gets you right in the chest. What are your scores on the doors? I haven't written my review for this yet. Uh, I'm probably thinking an eight. Very high. Which would be the third film in, in this podcast that I've given an eight to this evening. Very original. <laughs> what was your... Did eights. You do a, did you do eights. A... Eights across the board. Sorry, carry on. Well, it's like a stuck record there. <laughs> did you do a social media review reaction? Oh, I did. Uh, I wrote it while sat watching a panel for Gangs of London that's coming to Sky One in the very near future. So, my social media review for this, I said, Disney UK and Pixar's Onward is a true gem of a family film. Earnest, funny, and at times breathtakingly emotional. It challenges archetypal family roles in the best ways possible, and the bond between Tom Holland and Pratt... Oh, I'm reading from Twitter. So I was about to say, and at Pratt, 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 which is his username, is excellent. That was my social media reaction for that mm. one. It was really, it was it was genuinely for a film that I didn't really know what to expect from. It was uh, it was very it was very touching and rather emotional. That gave you all the feels. It did all of them and more. And I got free popcorn and two free bags of crisps and a oh, can yeah. of water and a cup of tea because there was also free breakfast. We had oh we had I didn't tell you this we had Danish pastries and cups of tea while a, we were waiting a cup to go of in. Tea yes. Oh, very civilised. I know. Disney Pixar's Onward is in cinemas from Friday, March the 6th. And I cannot recommend it enough, which is, again, the third time I've said that this podcast. Because I've reviewed three films that are all flipping awesome. So, great week, actually, for... Uh, or great couple of weeks, should I say, for cinema.
that, I think, just about wraps it up for this episode. Um, what's coming up in the next couple of weeks? Well, I mean, we've left it three weeks since the last episode, which is a bad thing, but, you know, we're trying to be better and, you know, stick to the regular schedule that I planned at the beginning of the year. Loads coming up for, actually, <laughs> again, for me in the next two weeks and not necessarily you. <laughs> it's just like our lives, really. No, it's horror films. So this... Well, actually, it's not just horror films. Uh, so this week, I am going to see My Spy, which is the new David Batista film. Uh, Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy. You can't make it because you have teaching things. Next week, I'm going to see not one, but two films next week now. I'm going to go see uh, The Hunted, which is a new horror film from the makers of The Purge. Uh, and Damon Lindelof, that wrote the Watchmen TV series, is working on that film. And I'm also seeing A Quiet Place 2 next week as well. Um, have you seen A Quiet Place 1? Yes, it's an excellent film. So I can't wait to see uh, where it goes with this sequel. TV-wise, we're nearly at the end of Picard. Oh, that's sad. Well, I say nearly at the end. There's four left. Oh, not that nearly. We've got one month to go. That's a month. We're, we're over halfway. Um, so we might have a little catch-up about that one. And I promise more comics content because we've just been neglecting the old comics because there's been so much going on in the world of film. I've not been reading a lot. I've been reading a book. You can talk to the lovely listeners at home about a book if you wish. Well, they may not want to hear about a book. I'm sure they're open to it. Oh. Well, have a look. I'll have to, I'll have to read it quick. <laughs> you will, you'll have to read it quick, yes. Uh, so that's it for us from this mammoth of an episode. Uh, thank you again to Chester, Pajama Boy Wonder, for letting me interview him and having a nice Skypey conversation. It was very much very good fun. If any other cosplayers are listening to this and, you know, want to come and have a chat to us about cosplay, I'm really interested to hear all about that whole community of people and just the wonderful creativity that goes on within it. So just get in touch. Give us a shout. We'll get you on. We'll chat. We'll see what's going on. Until next time, thanks very much for listening. Bye. Bye.